I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Yes, you are. Man, I just, I was listening to William Shatner in the car. Oh, okay. Uh, Were you out Shatner? Shatner. He put, he, he's got that, uh, that album out of the spoken word, I uh-huh. guess you call it. Uh, I guess he's, I guess they call him a, a skilled lyrical orator. Really? Not a spoken word guy. Yeah. Huh. Have you ever heard him do uh, Mr. Tambourine Man? No. But I'll bet it. It ends with a primal scream at the end of it. Master Tambourine Man. Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we actually cover uh, issues of of concern to the Christian community. We don't normally talk about William Shatner and Tambourine Man, but sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, so we we have a new show today. We call it Tomorrow's Tremors or Today's Review of the Future's News. Mm-hmm. We have some news items that we've not had a chance to get to yeah. in the past we think are significant. Kind of a kind of we're kind of a backfilling, you might say. Well, but that's usually involving dirt, and we don't like to move dirt. This is like mining for gold is what I yes. would say, platinum. We're kind of gold fillings sort of. Yeah, okay. Platinum so, filling. Sort of like the uh what was that big uh revival thing in Toronto, weren't they having gold fillings filled in? What you talking about, Willis? You, you know that? You know, <laughs> at the like the Toronto Blessing or whatever, where people were miraculously getting gold fillings put in their teeth in no, church? No, I don't, I don't hurt. Was this like some dentist on call or something? No, 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 no. It was one of these signs and wonders they talked about. Really? Very controversial. Wow. Obviously. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's like the holy laughter thing that was going on real big. You know, I'm not really familiar, all that familiar with that, too. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you need to hang out with me. Uh, well, you do have a story for us. Let's mm-hmm, get right into mm-hmm. some stories. Can you share with us a little bit about well, uh, this golden story you've been hanging on to? Yeah, you know, we've been I've I've mentioned it half a dozen times on previous news segments, but uh, just never. It's like I want to get to it, I just can't get mm-hmm. into it. It's round hole in a square peg kind mm-hmm. of a situation. Yeah. Um, this one is from the Mail Online, uh, and the title is GM Genocide. Thousands of Indian farmers are committing suicide after using genetically modified crops. Mm. Um, When Prince Charles claimed thousands of Indian farmers were killing themselves after using GM crops, he was branded a scaremonger. In fact, as this chilling dispatch reveals, it's even worse than he feared. You know, that's not as bad as he's been branded the Antichrist, too. I thought it was Philip. No, no, Prince Charles. Antichrist and a cup of tea. You sure? Yeah, Antichrist with mm-hmm. a cup of tea. Prince Philip of Spain, you're talking about? No, um, his son. Um, no. No, not Philip? No, Antichrist and a cup of tea was about Prince Charles. I didn't mean to get you offline there, but I just thought scaremonger is one of the nicer things he's been <laughs> Does called. Does not compute. Okay, <laughs> proceed. Uh, the children were inconsolable, mute with shock and fighting back tears. They huddled beside their mother as friends and neighbors prepared their father's body for cremation on a blazing bonfire built on the cracked, barren fields near their home. 
as flames consumed the corpse, Ganjanan, 12, and Kalpana, 14, faced a grim future. While Shankara Mundakar had hoped his son and daughter would have, would have a better life under India's economic boom, they now faced working as slave labor for a few pence a day. Landless and homeless, they will be the lowest of the low. Shankara, respected farmer, loving husband and father, had taken his own life. Less than 24 hours earlier, facing the loss of his land due to debt, he drank a cup full of chemical insecticide. Ugh. Yeah, not unlike White Castle. Mm. Unable to pay back the equivalent of two years' earnings, he was in despair. Excuse me, the lawyers from White Castle are on the phone. I want to talk to a Tom Bionic. <laughs> By the way, he said that in jest because that he knows that I adore that White Castle. That was a joke. Okay. That was a joke. We all around here love White Castle and possibly none more so. At least you could have used their, your old technique feature. and said kite wassels or something like that. Who? You know, huh. your your enigma you, technique, you know, of uh, oh, yeah. encrypting information. Yes, o- only uh, with so our... Listeners with a decoder ring can get it. Right, right. Yeah. Not sold in stores. Yeah. Okay. Unable to pay back the equivalent of two years' earnings, he was in despair. He could say no way out. There were still marks in the dust where he had writhed in agony. Other villagers looked on. They knew from experience that any intervention was pointless, as he lay doubled upon the ground, crying out in pain and vomiting. Ugh. Moaning, he crawled onto a bench outside his simple home a hundred miles from Nagpur in central India. An hour later, he came. He stopped making any noise. Then he stopped breathing. At 5 p.m. on Sunday, the life of Shankara Mundakar came to an end. As neighbors gathered to pray outside the family home, Nirmala Mundakar, 50, told how she rushed back from the fields to find her dead husband. He was a loving and caring man, she said, weeping quietly. But he couldn't take any more. The mental anguish was too much. We've lost everything. Shakara's crop failed twice. Of course, family and pestilence are part of India's ancient history. But the death of, his, of this respected farmer has been blamed on something far more modern and sinister. Genetically modified crops. Hmm. Hmm. Shankara, like millions of other Indian farmers, have been promised previously unheard of harvest and income uh, if he switched from farming with traditional seeds to planting GM seeds instead. <clears throat> Beguiled by the promise of future riches, he borrowed money in order to buy the GM seats, but when the harvest failed, he was left with spiraling debts and no income. Shankara became one of an estimated 125 farmers, 125,000 farmers, to take their own life as a result of the ruthless drive to use India as a testing ground for genetically modified crops. Let me read that again. Uh, so, Shankara Mundakar became one of an estimated 125,000 farmers to take their own life as a result of the ruthless drive to use India as a testing ground for genetically modified crops. Wow. That's something right there. Wow. The crisis branded the GM genocide genocide by campaigners was highlighted recently by Prince Charles uh, when Prince Charles claimed that the issue of GM, uh, that is genetically modified foods, had become a global moral question and the time had come to end its unstoppable march. Speaking by video link to a conference in the cap- Indian capital, Delhi, he infuriated biotech leaders and some politicians by condemning the truly appalling and tragic state of small farmer suicides in India, stemming dot, 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 from the failure of many GM crop varieties. 
Ranged against the prince are powerful GM lobbyists and prominent politicians who claim that genetically modified crops have transformed India, Indian agriculture, providing greater yields than ever before. The rest of the world, they insist, should embrace the future and follow suit. But who is telling the truth? To find out, I visited the suicide belt in Maharashtra state. There's a suicide belt? Yeah. You know, their beer maturism must have a hard time selling. That's a tough one. Yeah. That's a tough one. Uh, the, the author writes, What I found was deeply disturbing and has profound implications for countries, including Britain, debating whether to allow the planting of seeds manipulated by scientists to circumvent the laws of nature. For official figures to, from, from the Indian Ministry of Agriculture uh, do indeed confirm that in a huge humanitarian crisis, more than a thousand farmers kill themselves here each month. Wow. How many again? Say that again. A thousand farmers a month kill themselves uh, in a uh, Maharashtra state there in India. Uh, in the suicide. A thousand a month. In the suicide belt, they call it. And why do they call it the suicide belt? Because these people are killing themselves so much that you can actually name it the suicide belt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I sort of figured there was an association there. Yeah. Don't, uh, you know, we tend to be tangential sometimes. Yeah, right. Now it's not one of those times. Simple rule, people, they are dying slow, agonizing deaths. Most swallowed insecticide. A pricey substance. That's a common way of committing suicide there? Yes. It's taking the very stuff they put on their own crop. Yeah, swallow the insecticide. Uh, it's a pricey substance they were promised uh, they would not need when they were coerced into growing expensive GM crops. It seems that many are massively in debt to local moneylenders, having overborrowed to purchase GM seed. Pro-GM experts claim that it is rural poverty, alcoholism, drought, and agrarian distress that is the real reason for the horrific toll. Uh -huh. But as I discovered during a four-day journey through the epicenter of the disaster, that is not the full story. That's something. I wow. like. I can't. You know, we could go on and on. Do you want me to go on? No, I don't care. I mean, it's a really long story. Yeah. But whatever. You see some other points you want to uh, um, make on it. It's man. It. That's it. This is something that. Is not talked about in mainstream media. Mm -hmm. Now we, you know, we have a show on GMO crops, mm -hmm. and by Dr. Jeffrey Smith was on the show, and basically what he said is, almost any corn product or soybean product in the world basically is genetically modified material. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing about this is something he hit on, is that these, the thing about the seeds is they're made so that each year you have to buy new seeds. From the GM company. So they're Terminator seeds. They cannot yeah, regerminate. Yeah. Uh, here it says in the article, when crops failed in the past, farmers could still save the seeds and replant them the following year. But with GM seeds, they cannot do this. That's because GM seeds contain so many Terminator, so-called Terminator technology, meaning that they have genetically, they have been genetically modified so that the resulting crops do not produce viable seeds of their own. Uh. So we've we've hit like the ultimate. The ultimate thing, you know, there you have to buy seeds from this company every year, or uh, uh, you die. Yeah, it's a disaster for the poor and mm -hmm. really for everyone. Yeah, and basically, if you have not only if you're poor and can't afford it, but if you just don't want to eat genetically modified food, they got mm -hmm. you where they want you. Yeah, because you're going to run out of stuff eventually unless mm -hmm. you. Um, does that mean it would be a good idea to go on and buy seeds right now and stuff? Get your hands on them. Well, there's a guy that I know uh, whose name is Lom Ryonic. Uh-huh. Uh, 
who has who has thought about that in depth actually. That's a crazy name for a name for that guy. Lom Ryonic, man. We'd like to have Lom on the show sometime. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the Ryonics. <laughs> They're good folks. And he's doing the same too. Yeah. Um if you go to your local country farmer store, mm-hmm. Is that also another place where you assume their food is not genetically modified and get some of the seeds out of that and plant it? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, some of the farmers that I've talked to, uh, especially the ones who are who visit, well, around here in the Nashville area proper, you know, you can obviously go up north and there's the um, uh, you know the Mennonites and the mm-hmm. Shakers and all those all those folks who right. do their do their pretty strict about what they grow and what they eat. But don't go up there trying to barter with them and exchange nails. For food, no, nails, cars, electronic, Chevro- electronics, Chevrolets, that yeah. don't work. Yeah, I got a DVD player. I'll trade you two cans of tomatoes. Yeah. Not happening. No, and they're in the driver's seat on that. Electronics don't do much good when you can't eat. That's true. Unless you eat those little packets inside the the silica the, gel yeah, things. Yeah, except for yeah, that. Yeah, don't don't do that, folks. They're yeah. bad for you. Yeah, they are bad says, for do you. Do not eat on them. They respect would, that. They would dry you out when they in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, the the whole thing with genetically modified food is the church. I don't hear hardly anything except from the real liberal side of the church. Mm-hmm. And and actually, I think this ties into the third seal in the last days about the controlling the scales, about this much money for the food. You know, and that's, like that. that's actually what sort of sort of got me. This could either be the beginning of that or some sort of uh, – this is something that I've talked to you about mm-hmm. uh, off off the mic and – Maybe if some of our listeners know of a know of one of the ancient rabbis who've written about this that I can go and check out or something. But it the uh, the Greeks feel that have often felt that pro- prophecy is you know prediction and fulfillment, and we as sort of Hellenized I guess Westernized thinkers mm-hmm. certainly see it that way. Uh, but the uh, the Jews there's evidence that I found in different places that a lot of the a lot of the Jewish thinkers often saw a second element to that thing, which was uh, a sort of a circular thing that went throughout history that there was sort of a mm-hmm. shadow, you know, many shadows yeah. of the Antichrist before the actual big prediction and the f- mm-hmm. fulfillment. Right. And uh, I would say that, you know, probably certainly the, the Western idea is valid in our minds because we think that way. Right. But I I, uh, I can't say that the other way isn't totally uh, invalid, hmm. you know. Hmm. One of the things is that um, uh, Friday the 13th, you know, uh-huh. all sorts of funky stuff has happened then. Did that, they say anything about Jason Voorhees, the the ancient scholars? Mm, they might have talked about Freddy. Okay. All right. But I don't think it was Jason. Okay. Yeah. They did, you know, they did fight in the movie. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt it's Friday okay. the 13th. Yeah. It's okay. I, I'm easy to get sidetracked. Yeah. Um, That's what I'm there for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the uh, uh well the you know the Hebrews looked at this thing, you know, for instance, uh you know, Friday the thir- the 13th, you know, all it's traditionally this unlucky number because yeah. that's when uh that's the 14th of Nisan, I believe. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure one of our listeners will yeah. correct us uh or me. Uh but that is the that is the day the uh um the death angel flew over Egypt there and well, killed I- all the people. Was that just at one point in history? Because, I mean, that's just a day of the month in, in the Israeli calendar, which is going to move all over the week, mm-hmm. the course of the week. Is that just like one point in ancient history when it fell on that day? Was yeah, I think so. I don't know the specifics, huh. uh, but I've read that. See, I always heard of Friday the 13th related to the day that uh, uh, Jacques Dumoulin was uh, burned at the stake. 
mm. in the Inquisition, the head of the Knights Templar. And that was not like Friday the 13th. He sort of cursed that day. Hmm. Well, I, the stuff that I've read says it's a little bit older than that. Huh. But I could be wrong. Okay. But we're not trying to say there's any kind of mystical connection with stuff. No, like no, no, no. Of course not. It's a, it's not a mystical it's thing just necessarily. Just what people believe it's, yeah. as part of our history and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we're here on the Hearsay Radio Hour. <laughs> so you got a, Affiliated with a rumor mill. Yeah. Do you got a, um, I have a, story. a story for us? Yes, I do. It's All a little right. change. Okay. But... Not to not to diminish what you're talking about. Genetically modified food and what it's going to do as an element of control is going to trump all these other kind of things. Mm-hmm. To me, I think it's worse than the prison camps and other kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a story here from Reuters. Uh, Babylon's future written in its ruins. It's about Babylon to be rebuilt. Oh, okay. great. Uh, this is uh, Dateline Babylon from Reuters. Mm-hmm. For a site whose historical importance ranks with Egypt's pyramids, the ancient Mesopotamian city of Babylon has suffered some rough treatment. In recent times, U.S. troops and Allied armies have parked tanks and weapons on the site in southern Iraq and used earth-containing ancient fragments to fill their sandbags. So they took all this uh-huh. great, you know, wow. ancient stuff and just filled sandbags with it. Looters ransacked its treasures, and before that, Saddam Hussein, quote, restored parts of it using new bricks bearing his name and built a palace overlooking it. Now, officials hope Babylon can be revived and made ready for a rich future of tourism with the help from experts at the World Monuments Fund, WMF, and the U.S. Embassy. The Future of Babylon project, launched last month, seeks to map the current conditions of Babylon and to develop a master plan for its conservation, study, and tourism, the WMF says. We don't know how long it will take to reopen to tourists, says uh, Mariam Amra Musa, head of the government inspection team at the site. It depends on funds. I hope that Babylon can be reborn in a better image. Mm. Fabled home of the Hanging Gardens, one of the wonders of the ancient world, and lying in a region ancient historians call the cradle of civilization, Babylon was badly damaged during the 2003 U.S.-led invasion to overthrow Saddam. Looters had been plundering the ancient site, about 85 miles south of Baghdad, for centuries. But the pillage accelerated rapidly after the invasion, when thousands of other archaeological sites in Iraq were also targeted. Hmm. Wow. The ruins of the once mighty city are a far cry from the Babylon of popular imagination, with its magnificent golden gate and lush gardens cultivated by King Nebuchadnezzar for his wife. Its clay brick walls are crumbling. A statue of the Lion of Babylon has all but lost its facial features, and European imperial powers long ago looted the best of Babylon. The Ishtar Gate has been in Berlin since German archaeologists seized it before World War I, despite calls for its return. Officials say preserving Babylon, a relic of a time and place that gave birth to such milestones of civilization as agriculture, writing, codified law on the wheel, is crucial. It's extremely important when people say this region is the cradle of civilization. That's certainly true of Babylon, Lisa Ackerman, uh, WMF Vice President, told Reuters. It's a culture that had a profound impact on what we think of as a modern civilization, hmm. which is true. The Bible agrees with that. Yeah. It may also help war-wracked Iraq generate revenue in the future through tourism as it seeks to rebuild after years of sectarian slaughter and attacks by insurgents. Religious tourism to Iraq's Shiite Muslim holy sites has boomed since the fall of Saddam, but the country still has a long way to go, and security will have to be vastly improved before it can start to dream of luring Western tourists. Can, wow. Can I share just a little bit more? Yeah, later on. Just a little bit more. Um, Babylon and places as, as such as the southern marshes believed to be the biblical Garden of Eden could eventually be major attractions. 
<laughs> Mickey Mouse chilling out. Uh, just think about the go. book of Revelation here, okay? Jeez. Revelation 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. military occupied Babylon as a base for five months before handing over to a Polish-led division which left in 2005. The British Museum said in a report that U.S. and Polish military vehicles had crushed 2,600-year-old pavements and their forces had used archaeological fragments to fill sandbags. They dug trenches for storing gas in the Babylon Theater, said Mithiam Hamza, who keeps the site's two museums. They also crushed walls by landing helicopters on them. The U.S. Embassy in Baghdad is contributing 700 grand toward the site's restoration. Saddam Hussein's insensitive reconstructions also pose a dilemma for efforts to restore Babylon. Apart from his palace, he also rebuilt Processional Way, a street of ancient stones. Hmm. And he painted on it a mural of King Nebuchadnezzar in blue and gold with suspiciously a Saddam-like face adorns one wall. A tacky cartoon lion, another. He built an artificial lake in what critics call the Disneyfication of Babylon. Uh, Ackerman said one of the first things that WMF would do was establish whether underground water was present and erect barriers to prevent it from seeping into the ruins and damaging the clay bricks. But Saddam's alterations may best be left alone. One approach is people have been doing things to Babylon for centuries, if not millennia, so we can accept Saddam Hussein's changes as part of the life of Babylon. Eventually, if security in Iraq continues to improve, officials hope tourists will return. We are optimistic about ruins tourism in Iraq. Uh, Hussein Rashid, head of the Iraq's Committee of Antiquities and Heritage, told Reuters, God willing, we can surpass Jordan and Egypt's tourism. Hmm. So, I read that with an eye toward the Bible says this audacious claim that Babylon will be rebuilt in the last days, become a center of commerce. Wow. Well, we did see, we did, uh, well, gosh, so many things to refer to. We did hear about uh, hear about Babylon from uh, Brother Missler. Uh, in, his, yeah. in his big interview, just mentioned it in what he said. Well, this is classified information, but and then blurted uh, out yeah. over the radio. I talked about the uh, um, the fact that there's some kind of central data link between the East and the Western world. Yeah, that passes right through there well, that they set up. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and they're also routing most of China's uh, well, China and Europe through there as well as Russia. Hence, East and West. And uh, uh, well, yeah, but also Russia, Siberia, and uh, Africa, all through there. That's the that's the big hub mm-hmm. right there. Hmm. Very interesting. Yes, sir. So, yeah. things. Nothing is too fantastic in the Bible to not happen no. quickly. You know, that's that's one of the things that we noticed um, watching Dubai become this huge city. In a matter of a couple of years. Yeah, and didn't you send out a didn't you send out a thing to yeah. um right on that? Yeah, that's right. I, I to uh, Tom Horn uh, pointed mm-hmm. out he mentioned on Raiders News Update that. That uh, when you look at the scale of what's been built in Dubai, the scale of it defies the imagination mm-hmm. beyond anything in the world that's been built in a couple of years. Yeah, it's like 10 years. You look at this thing and it's desert, and now it's like... Well, I mean, but the scale of the buildings are just oh, yeah. dwarf anything in the world. Mm-hmm. The whole th- so, you know, they built entire major metropolises, like artificially w- with putting sand out in the water. Mm-hmm. But um, building the, the Babylon, even on a more extreme case than what it was before, even if it was done within the 70th week of Daniel... You know, a seven-year period is mm-hmm. no big deal. No. No, uh, I don't think so. really is not. Uh, we're coming up to about two and a half minutes. You got anything quick to share with us? Uh, let me look at the pile here. If you don't, I have a quick one. Well, what do you... you Tell me what yours is. This is this is just run-of-the-mill. Uh, fighter jet scrambled after UFO falls plane over Athens. So... <laughs> Let's go with that okay. one. Okay. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, 
Fighter jets were scrambling to intercept a UFO seen following a London-bound passenger jet. The object was spotted by the pilot of Olympic Airways Flight 266 from Athens, and the sighting was corroborated by staff in Athens Airport and a nearby Greek Air Force base. Wow. Pilots of, yeah, of two other jets also reported seeing the body. Uh, this happened in February 2009. The eyewitness described it as looking like a large star, although it was moving erratically and constantly changing shape. The two fighter jets were sent to investigate the sighting over the Greek capital. In, oh, this is an earlier thing, November 2007. But the object shot up into the sky and vanished before they could get a clear view. The incident mm-hmm. was kept secret by the Greek authorities uh, for more than a year, but it is now generating huge interest after official documents and recordings of the conversation between the pilot and control tower were released. An Olympic Airlines spokesman said, I can confirm the incident. It is the first of its kind involving our pilots. Whoa. Yeah, Greek officials say that the object, which was not detected on any radar, was probably a mistaken sighting of the planet Venus in the autumn night sky, which explains why it was jumping around erratically and yeah, just going straight course. up in the air. Yeah. Venus, we see that do that a lot. Uh, this was not the first time that a passenger jet has had a close encounter with a UFO. Documents released by Ministry of Defense last year disclosed that an Alitalia flight had a near miss while landing at Heathrow in 1991, with the pilot describing an object similar to a missile, light brown or fawn, about three meters in length but without any exhaust line. Wow. And, of course, you know, O'Hare had the really big incident that all the control tower guys saw, yeah, people on the ground crew. swamp gas or something like that? Well, the only people who said that was the FAA. Okay. None of the but guys the other, on the ground. But the other thousand or so people who saw it. Men in black didn't, like, crush yeah, their will to be there. Uh, you know. Speaking of Men in Black, we need to bring Merv in. There you go. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can contact us here at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. I thought you were going to say, speaking of crushing our will, here's Merv. Yeah, well, that's normal. We'll <laughs> save that for another analogy for yeah. another day. There you go. We got to go. Let's get at it. Boy, it sure goes quick. Just a couple, couple of stories, and that's the end, isn't it? Yep. Uh, we'll be back with a guest here soon. We just thought we'd take a break, catch up on some stories. Mm-hmm. We hope you enjoyed it. And until, t- until the next day we're on, uh, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is a special kind of show today that we're going to do. Um, And I I have to confess to our listeners, uh, one thing that motivated us to finally get around doing this Mm -hmm. on the spot is that uh, we had a, a... uh, scheduled uh, interview right now mm-hmm. that didn't work out. Yeah. And we saw it as an opportunity, even though we are totally unprepared for the segment, mm-hmm. which some of you may say sounds like every show would fit <laughs> in that category. 
but we've had uh, some emails from people, including our friend uh, Longshoreman Johnny out there, mm-hmm. who uh, we give a hey out there to, mm-hmm. who has said they'd like to hear us talk a little bit more about some, you know, we kind bring up a, little casual comments related to the guest. The goofy theories that we have. Yeah, yeah, that's a good name for the show, <laughs> the Goofy Theories That We Have. You know, that's another title you don't ever hear on Back to the Bible or the goofy Radio Bible have. Class. No. They don't ever have that kind of stuff. Well, we don't have as commanding of a voice as... Um, but they are Bible Center. Scroll. Yeah. Or Woodrow Crawl or... Yeah. I don't know. Dr. Lutzer, who we hope to have on here oh, yeah. for long yeah, and, we, and others. We, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, but it's just us. Yeah. And, uh, again, a number of people have said, hey, we're interested in some of the things you brought up. I wish you could have a show where you, mm-hmm. you and Tom would elaborate on it. Yeah. And um, one of the things that we thought, obviously we'll probably have a lot of spare time, was the book of Revelation. So yeah. I, I don't know what we will do with the last ten minutes of the show once we've resolved that completely. <laughs> but um, do you have any kind of comments about sort of your evolving thinking on That's a, the big picture of that well, book? Well, you know, um, when I first came to the Lord, I was a, I was a – well, let me let me even back up a little bit. Before, um, before I became a Christian, I was always uh, involved in spirituality and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Various tried on various different types of uh, uh, religion, if you will. And I always sort of viewed from that perspective. I always sort of was unsure about the end times and uh, like what happened with you die, when you died, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. Right. Um, but as far as end times, like when the world was going to end, I really didn't give that a whole whole lot of thought. Uh, and then when I finally did get saved, uh, not knowing a lot, not knowing enough of the uh, either the Old Testament or, you know, still wrestling with basic Christian doctrine, mm-hmm. um, I just kind of naturally everybody that I listened to was pre-trib, so I said, I'll go pre-trib. What the hey? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, then the more that I studied it, you know, the more I became. I would say slightly uncomfortable with it, but it's not like it was a biblical doctrine that's going to send me to hell if I'm not pre-trib mm-hmm. or something. Right. Despite what you might read in, you know, some different yeah. discussion groups. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I kind of just, I set it aside. There were different things and had some conflicts with different people and, uh, you know, polite conflicts, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody, an orator would say this or that. And I would go, ah, it sounds fishy to me, but that's mm-hmm. okay. Um, and I'll, you know, I will credit the show actually of bringing me, um, bringing me into my present state, which is, I would say probably more towards the six seal pre wrath sort of uh, mm-hmm. viewpoint of things. Although I'm really kind of still sort of working all this out. I mean, uh, you're still taking a new data, new, new interpretations of yeah. the scripture, how yes. it falls. And yeah. Uh, you know, um, you're not leaning toward the preterist camp though, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm leaning towards the preterist camp. Like Muslims are leaning forward to hug Jews at this point. Oh yeah, now I get it. <laughs> you know, somebody will take that little clip that you had. I'm leaning toward the preterist camp, and then cut it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what will happen. What was that? What was that thing that Alex Jones did? Where somebody there was a YouTube clip out, I think, where somebody said he was a lizard, and uh, they took this thing where he was about to be interviewed on uh-huh. on some cable thing, and he kind of licked his lips before the, yeah. the interview, and they slowed it down. And fooled with yeah. it, and they made it kind of look lizard-like, and then he uh. had to, of course, refute this ridiculous claim that Alex Jones was, in fact, a Nephilim reptilian. Yeah, he wasn't a reptilian. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people fell for that, I'm guessing. How about 
Well, let me let me just say real quick to our mm-hmm. listeners, uh, if we ever get into some real meat and potatoes here, mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, that we'd like to have comments back from you. Yeah. Uh, sometimes old Doc gets overwhelmed with some of the emails because people don't ask simple questions on here. They ask really in-depth doctrinal things that I am poorly equipped to go into. This is a discussion forum to discuss these kind of things, and I'll mm-hmm. do my best. So it may take me a while to give you my two cents, and then you have to use your own discernment. Mm-hmm. which we suggest all the time. But we would like to have your feedback mm-hmm. on these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, regarding my background, I grew up in an evangelical church where the, the concept of the Lord coming back was understood, but they really didn't emphasize the teaching much because they were afraid people would get out on the deep end and just obsess on it. Yeah. Which Kind of like what we happen. do here. <laughs> well, sort of like, yeah. Maybe they envisioned our show and tried to warn us. <laughs> no! But, uh, no! But, you know, they didn't really talk much at all about it. Really? Or just a very thing of, you know, the Lord's coming back, you know. See, that's yeehaw. interesting because I've always, I always do, and I think rightly so, hold you as a scholar in a lot of these things. And, uh, you should to, not. To hear that, well, I'm sort of floored. I mean, I've been a Christian uh, like about six six or so years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and to hear that to hear that you weren't taught up all this stuff, it's, oh, no. I'm uh, surprised. The big, you, you're so in-depth. Your knowledge is very in-depth. The turning point was that my older brother and I were going through Kmart one day back Mm -hmm. in 1976. Mm. And he saw on the shelf in Kmart a copy of The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Hmm. Bought it, and he ended up reading it that night. Wow. Now, we weren't known as bookworms. where we went, you know, car magazine is different. We'd go through that in a night, but not books. He went through it in a night, and I got it from him. I went through it the next night. Wow. And then just about that time, not long after that, cable TV started popping up in our town. And we finally were able to get a few channels. Mm-hmm. And there were shows like The King is Coming with Howard C. Eastep, mm-hmm. this older man who taught about Bible prophecy. And mm-hmm. so we were seeing stuff like this come up from different places. And it was just amazing. We were learning stuff. You know, the, the big key was it was a sign of that we grew up in church. We're both Christians, uh, believed, trusted in the Lord. Mm-hmm. But to actually see possibly that the Lord's hand was doing things in today's current events the way he did in the Bible wow. was amazing. Well, it's I, one thing to believe in your head. It's one thing to see with your eyes. I tell you, that brings up an interesting point that I've been I've been looking at, sort of vaguely, vaguely uh, uh, tangential to this pr- uh, prophecy sort of discussion we're having. Uh, boy, man, if you start looking at the apocryphal nature of the book, uh, the book of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, explain that apocryphal nature. Um, there is a the best way that I can do that is like this: you read, uh, you read the Essenes War Scroll, which they found in Qumran. Mm-hmm. It's this thing that depicts uh, this gigantic battle of good and evil, you know, humans and angels and uh, on both know, sides. other spiritual beings, whatever they may be. Yeah. On, both know, sides, on both sides? On both sides, you know, rather... Melee. Melee, yeah. like the big melee, you know, mm-hmm. the big one. Um, when you start when you start looking at the Bible, I've been recently motivated to start, you know, reading Hebrew and trying to learn Hebrew and Greek and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start looking at the Semitic content and how the the Semitic ideal of these different words were, uh, trying to look at it through their eyes, boy, the Bible is incredibly apocryphal. I don't think anybody's really talking about that. Apocryphal being? Uh, that there are all sorts of references, uh, apocryphal meaning good and evil in this huge spiritual sense, not just on the printed page. Okay, so am I understanding you to say that 
even in what would consider some of the more mundane stories of the Bible, they're, they're, they have foreshadowings of major spiritual battles yes. in heavenly places. You are. I'm, I'm glad you are here. You were doing the thing that I admire you the most for, which is when somebody spits out something that's sort of Ill, ill-shaped, you take it and mold it into a Picasso. Uh-huh. That misrepresents <laughs> what they said. They go, I wanted a potato, but you molded a strawberry. But we'll go with well, that. that is a real compliment. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, and here, I'll... It, I'm glad you – I'm going to have to take that and paste that and, like, replay that in my head because that's exactly what I mean. I just couldn't say it in a succinct fashion. Well, I would have never come up with the Essenes War Scroll. Well – I mean, you demand. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Um, but I'll give you a good example of that. Uh, if you go and you look at the Elohim references, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of them can be sort of explained, I guess, in a wider sense as a place of residence term, you know. Mm-hmm. Um Michael Heiser, I've been researching some of the things he's done and, right. and different. And, you know, he brought that up. Well, one of the interesting things is I believe it's Second Samuel um, where uh, uh, David's troops and Saul's troops are facing off and they're kind of like fighting. Mm-hmm. At one point, the uh, Bible describes an earthquake and says something like, and then there was an earthquake and mm-hmm. it was a great quake. In fact, it was a very great earthquake. Uh, or they use the word trembling in the King James. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you look at those, you look at that reference, very great is Elohim. Now, mm. where on earth does Elohim and very great come into play? Which is we commonly think of associated with God, a description of God. God, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, if you're to, if, you know, like El- Michael Heiser said, and I'm re- that's kind of one in the process mm-hmm. of researching, that it, it has a connotation of... Um, place of reference you know they talked about Saul uh, when he went to the witch of Endor being mm-hmm. uh, you know coming up from the ground and the witch Endor said I see an Elohim coming up from the ground and uh, it says an Elohim because I thought Elohim was always plural no I don't think it's always plural okay uh, right. I don't think it's always plural uh, I'm not the expert we'd have to get Michael Heiser back on okay. here to, okay okay uh, you know, Michael Heiser blows a lot of people's minds, particularly good Bible-believing evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. because um, some of the, the cultural belief of the Bible that we find intertwined in a good, hard understanding of the passages, it's hard to separate the two, mm-hmm. and I'm the same way. I'm yeah. still constantly having to retest. What what of my part is, is yeah. cultural stuff that has come along with mm-hmm. what this passage really says, mm-hmm. and, and he just goes in and says... Here, as a as a scholar of the words, here's what I understand the text to say, mm-hmm. just taking it objectively. But I'll, yeah, and I I don't doubt his I don't doubt his scholarship. You know, mm-hmm. he's second to none, certainly. But I just feel myself, which is what inspired this study. I feel uncomfortable uh, accepting everything that somebody has to say without doing some research of my own. Everybody should be tested. That's what yeah. the Bible said the Bereans yeah. do. Test the spirits. You test everything, and heaven forbid yeah. if you don't test. Everything you hear on this show, everybody, we always encourage people mm-hmm. to go study, meditate. We, we want you to have an open mind, but also have a critical spirit with mm-hmm. what the passages in the Bible says. It's, it's good to give people slack as they take different passages and try to put together the totality of the message of, of what they call the whole counsel of God in a way maybe that challenges you mm-hmm. uh, if they stay focused merely on Scripture. But you've got to really go through things critically. I uh, there's a there's a common saying that says a mind is best left open, and I would have to disagree with that actually. I think a bo- a mind is not like a big open hole. A mind mm-hmm. is like a mouth. A mind is best used when it has something to bite down on. Okay. 
Well, I don't think they meant by open being empty. No, I no. think they meant like but it, there there can be communication. Sure, but the connotation ends up in this. Up. Yeah, the connotation in this society ends up being like, yeah, just whatever. It's not accept anything. Yeah, it's, it's just, all relative. Yeah, hey, it's just you know. be tolerant, which is mm-hmm. which is basically a hallmark of the ancient mystery religions. They were what they called synchronistic or syn- syncretic. I forget syncretic. the term. Where they actually would absorb like an amoeba. Other belief systems and say, "Oh, you can be part of the party." Except <laughs> like a spiritual Borg, yeah, sort of, yeah, really, the hive <laughs> mind. Yeah. And they would do that except Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the challenge that I find is that we should still be teachable, have people challenge us that mm-hmm. have come from other walks. Of, you know, people who are committed to Christ, mm-hmm. the, the deity of Christ, to um, His Lordship, and all of these things, mm-hmm. uh, give us something to really stew over mm-hmm. and drive us back to the Bible to study to. You know, show yourself approved. Mm-hmm. Um, and but at the same time, I also want to say there are brothers and sisters out there who have points that even though they may be sincere, you still may not agree with them mm-hmm. at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You may or may not in the future. They mm-hmm. may change their mind in the future. Heck, we don't agree but, on a lot of things. Right. But the thing is, uh, if you totally separate yourself from anybody you have any disagreement with on, on particularly things, matters that we see unclearly on, like certain issues of Bible prophecy, mm-hmm. you will be a church of one eventually. Yeah. If you if you say I will not even maintain a dialogue with people who see any difference whatsoever, uh, I mean it's important to maintain the integrity of Scripture, of of the teachings of the Church and the faith. But it, there's comes a point where you've alienated yourself from everyone, and you really need to search your heart to see when you're going to extreme one or the other. Well, and I tell you, the Bible has a lot to say about loving your brother too. You know, loving others. Especially brothers in Christ. As you would have others doing to you. Yeah, I know. All of this stuff isn't, you know, is very secondary without love. I tell you, if you ever make your religious Christian opinion, biblical opinions known on any form, whether it's on a radio show, mm-hmm. on a, even a message board, anything where you're mm-hmm. out there writing something, a blog or whatever, you are going to take a lot of heat. And a lot of heat from people who most of the time misunderstand you, distort what you say, that kind of thing. Well, that's, it brings up, that brings up, we're, we're kind of freeforming here, but... Uh, that brings up an interesting point. I have found that the information that I have gleaned, you know, in researching the show and doing the show and, mm-hmm. you know, being part of the interview, uh, interview, the small part of the interview process, it's, uh, it comes in amazingly handy, uh, amazingly handy. Uh, for instance, last night I was driving with a, a good friend of mine and he started telling me about uh, a trip that he had in New Orleans and went to some, see some haunted house. And uh, gave me the historical background of the house, and I said, "Oh well, you know, they were—I guess the people there were doing experiments on people and, mm-hmm. you know, in this in the story." And uh, I said, "Well, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, uh, the Bible has all sorts to say about, uh, uh, you know, Satan and his minions coming down and trying to run amok uh, with the genetic code of people and trying to create superhuman races, such as these people were doing." Mm-hmm. And we went into that, and it, you know, we got done, and he went, "Wow." The Bible says all that, mm-hmm. and you know, I said, well, yeah, it, you know, it's there. It's a very, it's a very interesting witness tool, mm-hmm. you know. But another common response is, well, I've never heard that before. You, you must be doing some funny thinking. You, you're reading a, you know, funny <laughs> Bible or something. That is a very common response. Well, it may be. I, I think that may be uh, um, the depth of the depth of difference that we come at. You know, I come at, you know, I come from a, a West Coast. Hanging out with the musicians, mm-hmm. kind of a background, and you were very uh, studying. Bible about, Belt background where you yeah. like to just judge people and burn them at the stake. 
by comparison. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say it quite that bad, but I mean, you know, well, there's there's a difference. There's a difference in the way things, in the way people process information. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want you to think we've forgotten you in the meantime of our discussion. Uh, I do think this is a good primer for people. If you want to tell people to come check out our show, yeah. this might be a good show for people to listen to in our archive to sort mm-hmm. of understand how we think. Mm-hmm. Because we, we, we know yeah. that we cover a lot of far-out topics. You yeah. don't have to tell us that. Uh, but somebody has to. Yeah. You know, somebody yeah. has to. We hear things like Coast to Coast and their overnight radio that covers all of these topics. They are not from a Christian foundation, mm-hmm. although I will give them credit. They're one of the only places that allow a Christian to come on, say their piece, and even give a plan of salvation uh, if they do it respectfully mm-hmm. in context. No other mainstream show will do that. So uh, for all the New Age uh, you know, stuff they have on there, I will give them credit for at least giving a Christian a say to and people like Dr. Michael Heiser mm-hmm. makes a big impact there. People Stand like Tom Dale. Horn, Stand Dale. Lynn Marzulli, mm-hmm. all these guys, yeah. uh, in, um, even, uh, uh, Mr. Giant, Steve Quayle. Yeah. Steve Quayle, for all the wild stuff he talks <laughs> <Mr>. about, <Giants. laughs> always brings it back to Christ. Yeah. Always brings back to people getting their lights right in the Lord. Yeah. I'm sure it makes some of those radio people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are opportunities for that. But our show, uh, clearly comes from a, Biblical standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. that's our intent. It may be not clear to you, the listener, mm-hmm. but that's what we do, even though we talk about crazy things. Yeah. But but one thing that has evolved in my life is that I will meet all the time people who I disagree with their positions, even if they claim to be Christians. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I have to despise them, always be mistrustful of them, mm-hmm. uh, still maintain you, you communication with these people, mm-hmm. love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, pray together that you can come to some understanding mutually mm-hmm. together. Um, so, and I'll just leave that to, to each of you. Um, it's one. It's one of these things. I, I thought about our show the other day. Our show is really for those who have ears to hear. That's an interesting it, way to put it. It takes. We're never going to be. You know, went around through the national religious broadcasters meeting the other day, and oh, man. I could Don't tell started on it was sort of stuff. like the anti-future quick world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big it was money. Very, well, and, yeah, that, and also it was just Nephilim, very <laughs> lowest common denominator kind of discussion. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're bearing a lot of fruit, bringing people into the kingdom, doing good works. Mm-hmm. Heaven forbid I, I, you know, criticize that. But it's not the kind of stuff we talk about. No, our road is a little different. Well, and they're going to reach a large, large group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, our show is never going to be the number one show on Christian radio, at least not while we're host. But seriously, the topics that we talk about, there's always going to be a select group of people. Uh, it requires a certain level of maturity to be able to handle what we talk about, to, to, so. to separate the baby from the bathwater. Yeah. And one of the things I, I have to confess I do fear on our show, since we're on the regular radio, is that there can be new Christians and new others that hear things mm-hmm. and don't know what to do with it. Uh, what I would assert is that they hear these topics talked about on uh, Coast to Coast, History Channel, mm-hmm. uh, Discovery. Mm-hmm. I'd rather them hear stuff here. Uh, with people who are committed to scripture, it, if yeah. they're going to hear about this stuff anyway, uh, sure, there's a possibility they may get confused and things. Mm-hmm. We always tell people to go back to the Bible, read from themselves. Mm-hmm. If you have questions or you really wonder where we're coming from, mm-hmm. um, just drop us an email. I, I, the few times we've ever had uh, emails frustrated with us, it's been very few. It's been people who usually misunderstood where we're coming from. Yeah. And when we explained it and also explained uh, and asked for their prayers to uh, help yeah. enlighten us that the Lord use us, well, and that's we've, we've never lost a listener to my knowledge. Well, and that's something that, that I think you, to your credit, have done a very good job at saying at least once a week, if not every other day, is that if you disagree with us, send us an email. We really mm-hmm. do want to hear from you. 
Uh, and we, if you have problems with us, if we're just, you know, you think, boy, these guys are too far out. Or, yeah, if we just get on your nerves, I don't know what we can do about that. Yeah, but, you know, like something like Tom Bionic needs a bigger haircut or something. That, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how you'd know that if you were listening to the radio. But, right. you know, if there's something we say that you think may be anti-biblical or weird or odd, send us an email. We want right. to discuss it. It's not, we're not, and, we're not promoting anything other than God's right. love and uh, Jesus Christ, Amen. our sacrifice. And we will have guests on who um, are Christians, but yet we don't really necessarily embrace their position. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've had people from different uh, views on prophecy, on you know how they interpret sure. it. We, we couldn't have all of them simultaneously. We're probably some hybrid. We'd have some sort of a crazy on-air melee. <laughs> but, it, but it's educational to have them on. Yeah. It's educational here sure. rather than talk about them to have them talk. Mm-hmm. We will, on rare occasion, have people who aren't Christians on our show. Mm-hmm. If they're doing something that would be instructive, say you know current events or something like that, instructive mm-hmm. for us to consider in our biblical worldview, mm-hmm. and they're welcome on this show. Uh, you know, we're always going to keep it, you know, in our interpretation and sure. commentary in line with the Bible. And we're not, I, I don't, and I don't but think. we're not endorsing, no. you know, everything those people do. Mm-hmm. But, but we want their content to, uh, yeah, be I think available. that's one of the, one of the themes of our show that kind of rises and falls every couple months is, uh, Christian activism. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about doing, doing things, loving your brother, taking care of the widows, mm-hmm. you know. Loving people, and I think there's a lot more of that that could really go around. Uh, that's something I think that's much more with me maybe than with you, although I don't know. That's something that really sort of chafes me when I see when I see like I don't know a church that spends half a million dollars on a door, and then mm-hmm. you know somebody like or that, a million and a half. Yeah. Uh, wow, a million and a half. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then somebody like uh, uh, somebody like any one of our any one of our shows where we've had people that. Uh, are just, you know, they're just working their tails off and they're bearing fruit and it's like they're 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 dealing with something that's so dark, you know, like Colette or you know, maybe even right. Tom and Debbie, you right. know, right. Uh, brother Tom and sister right. Debbie, you know, they're dealing with some real they're like on the front lines, you know. And I also want to tell regarding those kind of shows, those kind of shows aren't the real um grabbers like prophecy, UFOs, Nephilim, mm-hmm. you know, New World sure. Order stuff. But the thing is those shows a lot of times have the most to tell us. Uh, oh, you know, gosh, at first yeah. pass, my people look at that and say, well, you know, other shows talk about that stuff, which is we, we really define ourselves as talking about issues nobody else does. Mm-hmm. If you listen carefully, you'll find out uh, there are elements of what we talk about that are not normally covered on other shows, and mm-hmm. there's something unique to be learned. Mm-hmm. And, and frankly, shows like that or Carl Madaris on mm-hmm. the, the Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, those shows get the biggest feedback from us as far as people whose view, worldviews have changed from our show. I tell you, uh, Brother Tom and Sister Debbie's show and uh, Brother Carl and uh, uh, Sister Colette were three shows that really moved my heart. Yeah, really did. Yeah. Moved us and our listeners said mm-hmm. the same thing yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, and, and by the way, since we've deviated from what we were going to yeah. do, we're going to talk have, about prophecy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go to. Let's. We need to have a part two where okay. we go into this. Right. But uh, I just want to say uh, here near a conclusion that um, you know we have different camps in the Future Plate family of mm-hmm. Futurian listeners. We have people who are really into just Bible prophecy, classic prophecy. Mm-hmm. We have people who are into UFO or paranormal stuff from a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. We have people who are into New World Order kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We have people who are into the economic kind of stuff. I don't or know political anybody kind like of that, events, but okay. You know. <laughs> so I just want to thank you all for bearing patience with us. Is that mm-hmm. different times we'll have guests that cater to different elements of our audience. Mm-hmm. We should try to 
catch all of them and listen to them, we'll learn something even if we weren't initially interested. Yeah, yeah. I, and plus, you and I have to be here anyway. We're stuck here no matter what. It's like, who's going to turn the lights on up in the third floor? That's right, unless, floor, it's, unless you know? it's open mic night. Yeah, you know. I don't know. Well, we've used up a whole show sort of talking about a little bit of our philosophy of approaching well, things. Well, let me, let me run out the hallway down the gangway and across the street there. Let me see if I can... Grab Merb over there in the in building three A. I hear he's in the Future Quake cafeteria oh, really? right now. Oh wait, I hear him coming up. Let me, the, uh, uh, let me the veranda here. The, uh, yeah, let me flip on. Here, yeah, here he is coming down. Here, here he comes. Gangway he's, six. He's just about over. Catch your breath, Merv. We've okay. got a couple of seconds. Our friend Merv here is going to tell you all how you can um, contact us. Um, how you can tell us don't do these shows where you talk for a half hour <laughs> and uh, you can give us feedback on what you think about our show. So with no further ado, here's Merv to tell you how you can contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Another show was gone. Yeah, I don't know what happened. People will say, what was the guest? What was the topic? Who knows? But I guess this was a show that needed to be done. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened, but I'm glad we did it mm-hmm. in a weird sort of way. It's like my dinner with Andre. I don't know who's Andre. Oh, it's like a three-hour movie about a dinner conversation. I don't Ooh. know if you've ever seen that. Yeah. Missed it. Yeah, not as exciting as Future Quake. But well, let's do it. Let's do a part two. Let's do part two, and we'll really talk about the Book of Revelation. Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for your patience with us. I hope this was instructive. You know a little bit about where we're coming from, and uh, come back where we'll really get in the meat, the potatoes. This is a little deviation for us. It's an opportunity, but till then, we hope your future is very bright and you have a wonderful day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And we're doing something a little different uh, today, like mm-hmm. we did yesterday. Um, we Let me just do a little preamble here. Okay. We um, have, are often asked by certain uh, Futurians who email us that they'd like for us to do a show just with us. Mm-hmm. Where we just discuss some topics and things. Of course, mm-hmm. it'd always be a good idea if we planned it ahead of time. <laughs> uh, maybe one day we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but what's presented an opportunity right now is uh, after the 200 or plus interviews we've done in Future Quake, uh, this is one of the few times, probably a handful, two or three, where we've had an um, interruption with a guest availability. Mm-hmm. And you had the idea, why don't we use this as an opportunity to talk about some things that our guests like to hear, our, our listeners. We can call this show... Our crackpot theories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something that'll really resonate with people. Uh, but you know, it's something that people would like to hear a little bit more because we may usually make offhand comments to what our guests mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. and and don't really formulate things. The only thing is we're not really prepared anything special because of yes. uh, 
this is just sort of came up, but it's a good way to get some stuff at least out there on the record, and mm-hmm. some people may have interest. And we'd like to have maybe people's can, email comments. Maybe they can roll with it. Maybe they can. Well, who knows? And we started with on the last show talking about the Book of Revelation and the concept of prophecy, and yes. we quickly descended into the general philosophy of handling scripture, mm-hmm. which I think is an important thing to hear. And if you all hear some things and you think they're really far out, I recommend you go back and listen to yesterday's show, mm-hmm. which is archived at futurequake.com. Uh, they're all bundled into one-week shows, but go back and listen to the earlier uh, phase. You'll hear a little bit about our philosophy so you don't misunderstand uh, what we're saying. And I think one thing, just to reiterate, we could say is we acknowledge we see through a mirror darkly like mm-hmm. everyone else. Uh, we try to study the scriptures and grow and learn and try to sort everything out. Mm-hmm. But we're still learning, and we also like to be teachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would recommend everybody else be that way, too, to consider and ponder what mm-hmm. other brothers and sisters are seeing in their study of the Word, mm-hmm. mull it over, consider it. But we're not going to go down that road forever. That's already been on the record there, so let's just get into the meat and potatoes. Uh, would you like to discuss some things? I, to me, there are some things that I've been looking at that I've alluded to on mm-hmm. our shows that are sort of thematic about the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. And uh, but I didn't know if there's anything you'd like to start out with yourself. Well, you know, we had talked we had talked a little bit about uh, and this is something that uh, uh, let's start at chapter five there in Revelation. How about that? Okay. You want to do that? Okay. Um, and in fact, um, I could say you you could even go back to uh, you want to go four? chapter four. Okay. I tell you, there's a couple of verses that are mentioned that I think are important to keep in mind. Okay. Um, where um, uh, it is told, John is told to see the things that are. Uh, and and uh, that were and that are to come. Let me see if mm-hmm. I can f- phrase it the exact way here. Uh, I'm looking for the exact verse here. Bear with me just a minute. Mm-hmm. Did you you know what I'm referring to here? Yeah, I'm I'm looking here for it. And uh... it says uh, in in chapter one, verse nineteen. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now what that tells me is that. We better be very, very careful in being dogmatic and say, well, this part of the revelation obviously happened in the past, or this part is, can only happen in the future, mm-hmm. or whatever. There is a combination of things here, mm-hmm. and many times things could be described that I think are thematic that have multiple fulfillments. Sure. Now, for many people, that's no revelation, but for some people out there, that might be a surprise. Well, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like I was saying on, I think, the last show, how we had uh, the idea of... You know, the Hebrew mind saw things happening. There was shadows of things to come in history that would sort of be repeated over and over again. And, um, you know, right. it's, it's not just the strictly Hellenistic idea of prediction and then all of a sudden fulfillment. Right, right. You mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And um, um, a lot of people just presume that when he talks about the things that are now, that that only refers to the letters to the churches mm-hmm. uh, in, in chapters 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. But I don't see anything that says that. And listeners, if you see that I missed a verse that clearly says that the things that are only the letters of the churches, uh, drop us an email. Mm-hmm. But the other verse is in verse four, that I'm, in chapter four, excuse me, mm-hmm. when um, when John it says, uh, after this I looked at the beginning of chapter four, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, mm-hmm. and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, "Come up here, uh, and I will show you what must take place after this." And then he says, I was once in the Spirit, and before me was a throne in heaven. Mm-hmm. Now, what it means about what takes place after this, there, there's a bunch of different ways 
that you could say that. What does it mean? After after what? After what is discussed happening in the churches, the things that are occurring, uh, what must take place after the date that he went to see John? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any time after this particular day right now. Uh, so again, I'd just like to caution people to be too dogmatic as saying, well, this obviously means this happens in the 70th week of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, it knows. I think what this does confirm, though, is that there, there, there's something that strongly suggests there's a component that has to be at least futurist. Sure. In the future. Absolutely. Now, people may argue about some things as they're also foreshadowing things that have occurred, mm-hmm. uh, like the the vision of the, the woman and mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, the dragon wanting to get her and things. Mm-hmm. So I, I only say those is that uh, to keep in mind that it's it's a little bit unclear as far as being dogmatic on the time when these things happen. So that leaves us open to put some hypotheses or yeah. you might call them speculations out there yeah. uh, and see how they fit with God's word. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that is evolving to me as far as a big picture understanding, mm-hmm. and this is something I'd like to write about sometime, but this is sort of the first time I'm talking about this on air in big picture, is that um, the theme that seems to me to be evolving when I've seen books like Peter Goodgames, David Lowe's comments, other people that I've read, mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, Revelation is a book about judgment. Mm-hmm. It's a book about judgment, about settling up. Where God says He will be the He will be the judge, He will settle vengeance as mine, mm-hmm. and that all of the sins of the world, all the wickedness and other things, uh, there will be justice and punishment meted out on them, vindication for those who were harmed. Hmm. Uh, if you go way back to um, uh, Cain and Abel, remember Abel was a victim of the first murder, the mm-hmm. first crime. And, mm-hmm. you know, his blood was, was crying out from the ground. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, God has kept a meticulous list of evil that people have done, uh, directed at him, directed toward other people. Mm-hmm. And when he says that he will settle it, he will settle it. Now, praise Jesus, that the terrible things that we've all done in our lives, when we give our lives over to uh, ask Jesus to be our substitution and pay the punishment, uh, it's paid for at the cross. But there are many who are not accepting that, uh, mm-hmm. not accepting that substitutionary death, and so he settles the score. So, where where is the place where um, where things are judged? Like today, if you're going to hear a judgment about something, if somebody has a case against somebody, where's that going to be done? Well, uh, your court, obviously, in a court, a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've been studying and and trying to learn about is that. And I've got much more to study on this. Is is how the courts and decisions were handled back in the ancient Jewish times, mm-hmm. both from the time of what God established, what evolved through their tradition, what was active at the time when Jesus was there, when mm-hmm. John heard this message. Mm-hmm. What would a message a first century believers who had Jewish connections understood about a format of this book? Well, off the top of my head, I would say they would probably, especially Jewish formatters, uh, Jewish readers of this book would especially understand a Sanhedrin. Or, you know, the 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 twenty four elders would a lesser and there's a lesser and greater Sanhedrin. Yeah, there's the seventy Sanhedrin, which may be the lesser, and then, then there was the twenty four elders, which mm-hmm. was the greater, right? Uh, no. Well, yeah, actually it's vice versa. But let me uh, just do a little uh, disclaimer here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people in our audience who, on individual topics like this, are much more versed than you or I. And I would just ask that you be a little gentle with us out there. Send us some uh, emails if you have strong information that shows we're going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- this is thinking that is still mm-hmm. evolving, and we appreciate anybody's comments mm-hmm. out there. Uh, 
But as I understand the way the legal system evolved, um, there are there were local um, groups that decided things in different regions. And mm-hmm. then when you got to the temple, where things were of a larger scale, more more national in scope, mm-hmm. there there was a a sort of a lesser Sanhedrin mm-hmm. that actually uh, met. Uh, just outside the the temple area, mm-hmm. or or adjacent to the temple grounds area, mm-hmm. uh, that comprised, I believe, 23 leaders plus a tw- 23 um, members, or they were mm-hmm. called elders, plus a leader of their group. Mm-hmm. So you could consider that 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a greater Sanhedrin that dealt with international affairs, affairs that went beyond affecting their neighbors, and that was a group of 70. Hmm. So it's okay. very curious when you see this. And then there was a place where these meetings were held. It was a meeting called the Hall of Hewn Stones. The Hall of Hewn Stones, uh, which I know very little about and I'm still learning, was a building that was built into the side of the wall of the temple. It had one opening that I believe opened out, and, and again, our, our listeners may be able to correct me on this, mm-hmm. opened out into the to the great the area of greater access, like you know, the Court of the Gentiles and things like that. There was other doorways that opened directly into the inner parts of the temple mm-hmm. because many times priests and others might be part of some kind of judgment or crime, mm-hmm. and they would open those doors to talk to the priest inside the temple. Hmm. And then they, they had doors the other way that opened out to where the general populace was. Wow. So if you just and, – and the other thing is, is this group of 24 was a group whose job was to actually acknowledge the Messiah – they were the ones who made the official pronouncement, this person is the Messiah. Hmm. But the group of 70 actually was responsible, again, for international involvement with others, even bigger issues. Hmm. So I'm going to put out a wild hypothesis here. Okay. And that is that the 24 elders, and again, these these people in, in the Sanhedrin are called, were called elders. Originally it was called a council of elders. That the 24 elders in Revelation are... Uh, Individuals, entities, I don't know what they are. They may look like humans or, or whatever. Yeah, some people some automatically assume that they're, well, they're the 12 apostles and the 12, uh, you know, 12 members of the tribes of Israel. There's nothing that says anything about any of that. Yeah, that's all. Nothing. That's all hypothesis. That, that I know. So, well, speculation. So, they're, they're, they're somebody who are elders, and it's possible that, you know, just like the there's a temple in heaven, mm-hmm. and then we have a temple built on earth where there's a pattern on mm-hmm. earth of what exists in heaven, mm-hmm. that, that these structures simulated the structure in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so um, then the question comes, well, what about the greater Sanhedrin, the international groups that reach outside of Israel? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, who are they? Well, mm-hmm. where does the number 70 relate to? What have we studied 70 in the Bible? Mm, sounds like God. The the uh, the Benai Elohim, mm-hmm. uh, the seventy who uh, it says that there were seventy nations in the table of nations originally, mm-hmm. and that the n- number of nations were uh, chosen according to the number of the sons of God. Yes. So uh, without going into all the detail, people like Mike Heiser and others have done. You can do research on this yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very strong indications in Scripture that after the tower, mm-hmm. that um, the other nations of the world were assigned these. Beings, whoever they are, uh, Benai Elohim, sons of God, called uh, to administer over them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a chapter in, in uh, Proverbs. I mean, excuse me, Psalm was it Psalm 82? 82, yeah. Where God basically says they've done a poor job. Yeah. They've not done what they were assigned to do, and so they're going to be judged. Mm-hmm. So these 70 are supposedly going to be judged. You see foreshadowings of the 70 mm-hmm. elsewhere in the literature, even mm-hmm. internationally. 
uh, you see other this continuing theme of 70. Did you have something to share? Yeah, well, First Kings 22 uh, yeah. talks. It's uh, uh, Micaiah's prophecy there. He talks about, uh, I saw the Lord. He's, he's there talking to uh, uh, um, the people who called him up there. And uh, he says, uh, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Uh, so right there, I mean, there's already, I can see where you're going, where it's a logical conclusion that, uh, uh, you know, what we're seeing there is not just, like the Lord really meets in some type of a, some type of a group where he sits on the throne and people will come forward before him sort of mm-hmm. in a courtroom fashion or mm-hmm. something like that. Well, just for people not familiar with this whole concept of Benial Elohim that have been talked about different guests on our show, uh, to give you another, just a case of who these entities possibly could be when you read in the book of daniel when uh you have the one that looks as if the son of man speaks to him mm-hmm. who was actually detained involved with the prince of persia called mm-hmm. the, and the prince of persia is very clearly shown to be a spiritual being in mm-hmm. the heavenlies that michael the archangel is involved with and he's working with michael to def- to overcome this prince of persia mm-hmm. and then the prince of greece is coming Mm-hmm. Um, there's several indications in the scripture that we're not going to focus on this that shows that the, there are spiritual princes and principalities over these nations that that are involved. Sure. If if we understand Psalm 82 clearly and just taking it straight up for what it's read, these entities are going to be judged. Mm-hmm. The ones who are actually in and even Paul talks about the principalities and powers and mm-hmm. rulers of wickedness and high mm-hmm. places that they are all going to be judged in a cosmic judgment. Mm-hmm. The kings of the earth who are in collusion with them are going to be judged. Mm-hmm. And I think Revelation is a picture of a cosmic courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, and I think this is a part of a speculation, and this doesn't have to be true for the other things I say to have some merit, is that it may be the case that this council of 24 elders is actually even judging against a higher court, corruption in the higher court mm-hmm. of 70, well, of I these Benai Elohim. It's interesting because I think Zechariah, even has some sort of a case, some sort of a thing where God's where God is there and uh, there's a throne and everything and Satan stands to accuse and uh, they talk about the Lord standing in front of uh, all of that stuff. I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I shouldn't have said that in front of half a million viewers. Well, yeah, <laughs> we're we're just talking. We, we've not done much prep- preparation for yeah. this. Um, well, here's some of the things. You know, I mentioned that the 24 uh, elders on this lower Sanhedrin were supposed to acknowledge who the Messiah was. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's some of the things that they actually say. Uh, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him. And it says, uh, they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they are created. And then when um, the Lamb appears, the mm-hmm. Lamb appears as if it has been slain. Mm-hmm. And receives the scroll and has decided Jesus clearly made, made himself clear that one day he would be the judge over the earth, mm-hmm. that the Father would have him judge. Not when he came the first time, mm-hmm. um, but he he, uh, he he will have a role of judge. So when he receives this scroll, and this is something that I've heard even people like Gary Stearman from Prophecy of the News mention, that people get all worked up over what these seals are. They're very mysterious. And people think that, like, when these seals are open, that, that these things just start happening. Like, it's like releasing a gate or something, and something comes running out. Mm-hmm. He says what these seals are are actually indictments of a, like a, not a subpoena, but uh, like a grand jury. Mm-hmm. Like, these 24 are like a grand jury, and then you unseal indictments. Hmm. And that's what these seals are. And so what, the, what, what they are basically are evidence 
They are evidence of the sins that are occurring. Hmm. So uh, one of the things you see these these saints do along with the, with the other elders that are there, they say to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain with your blood. You purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And it says, worthy of the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. Um so basically, I see they're fulfilling their purpose mm-hmm. to acknowledge Messiah hmm. at this particular time. So to to go back from where these seals are, when when the the the, the true judge, the worthy judge, is handed the scroll to mm-hmm. unseal the indictments of the sins of the the angels over over earth, the kings of the earth, and all who sinned and committed wickedness over time. Mm-hmm. Let's think of a contrast between that judgment. And a judgment that Jesus went through himself. And if you go back to in the, in the garden, uh, it was made very clear uh, back right after the fall that that there was the first promise, the first prophecy that the God the Father made, mm-hmm. that He said between the enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of uh, of the woman, mm-hmm. and that the seed of the serpent would uh, bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, and He would crush His head. And I think an indication of those two events are evidenced in the two trials that occur in Scripture. And, and the other t- trial I'm referring to is the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin on earth. Uh, I have some evidence, and I need to double-check this, but I believe it was an initial group of 24. Uh, that Sanhedrin was the first group that, that actually reviewed Jesus. Wow. So the shoe is on the other foot from the book of Revelation. Hmm. And then actually he is standing before the Sanhedrin. And what did Jesus say on earth these group of leaders were. He said, you are of your father, the devil. So he's, in essence, portraying them to be like the seed of the serpent that are actually on tri- putting on trial the representative of the seed of the woman, Jesus wow. Christ. Hmm. So they have a trial. And what do they do? They bring in false witnesses. They have false testimony, which the father of lies, that's what's natural for him to do. Mm-hmm. So they put punishment on him like the striking the heel. Hmm. And he bears the punishment. But what happens? He does not implicate any of his followers. He doesn't bring his followers in for judgment. Not he a takes single it one. In. He takes the judgment alone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even open his mouth. Mm-hmm. So he takes the judgment upon himself as part of the salvation of, of this of all of us in this world. Mm-hmm. Now we see in Revelation the shoes on the other foot. We have the righteous judge who's given a scroll to read the judgment. You know, they read charges against Jesus. Well, he's going to read charges here when these seals are opened against these heavenly powers and the in the kingdoms of the earth. Hmm. And in fact, at, at, when these four uh, seals are open, I would just like people to think we're getting near the end of the show. Hmm. Picture these seals in a context of actual evidence of the different aspects that wickedness has gone out throughout the world, both the history of the world mm-hmm. and even in the church age. The things are in the future, the things that John hadn't seen. Talks about the things to come. So, <coughs> so. Uh, he's got these seals. Well, anytime you have a courtroom, you're going to have witnesses, witnesses that will testify to the veracity of this. And in the fifth seal, you actually see witnesses that come out. It says when he opens the fifth seal, it's like I called the first witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shown evidence, exhibit A, B, C, and D mm-hmm. in the first four seals. And then in five, he says, uh, when I opened the fifth seal, John saw under uh, the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they'd maintained. Mm-hmm. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, uh, until you judge the inhabitants of earth and avenge our blood? 
Hmm. So what I what I what I'm a witness statement speculating really? is that they're they're on the witness stand and they're saying yes, this is valid. They've done wickedness. They've shed innocent blood. We are the victims of it, and we are testifying to what we've experienced. So unlike the false witnesses at Jesus' trial, these are the true witnesses that are coming forward mm-hmm. in this trial. And another thing, just quickly to make a point on this whole idea about the Hall of Hewn Stones. It had an opening into the ten, into the holy places of the temple, mm-hmm. and then had other openings out to the the non-holy places. And I would say that that may be a pattern of the place where John is standing in the celestial realms, where he sees one door open into God's throne, into the the wonderful holy creatures that are around God's throne, and, and mm-hmm. these things going on. And then they look another direction, and they see things going on Earth. So it's almost like opening a door into the holy place and then opening a door out into like the court of the Gentiles where you see what's going on in the earth. Mm-hmm. Where that, that, that building built on the Temple Mount may be a foreshadowing of the wherever the celestial place, it could even be interdimensional, we don't know mm-hmm. where it is, but actually provides a forum where there's a, there's a connection between heaven and earth uh, that, that's ongoing. Much like Jacob's Ladder kind of really. Uh, s- somewhat, except yeah. this room actually uh, has doors where you can see both directions and see mm. what's going on. It may be an explanation of what what John is seeing. Interesting. Here. So um, that that's sort of the beginning of the of the discussion. And I know a lot of people who have a pre-trib position will be are going to have a hard time with most everything I said. They're 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 pretty much taking up stones now. I can hear them. Well, I hope not because um, we I, don't have the. Hopefully, they can't find the future complex. I've been pre-trib most of my life. <laughs> Um, we're really not getting into the meat and the potatoes with a lot of this. It's just because um, to get things fall together, they make a lot of assumptions about this stuff happening only during the 70th week, mm-hmm. and, and these things are actually really events that are occurring rather than showing something that has been occurring. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to make it clear that I am a futurist, generally by position, and, and most of the book of Revelation, I think, is something that is to happen in, in the last days. Hmm. But I think what these, just like the, the earlier chapters talk about what's going on on the church side, and really, you know a passage where it says in Scripture that it says judgment begins first with the house of God, or something to that effect? I've heard that. Um, I think that's what this book emulates. Because what does Jesus first do in this book? He evaluates and judges the house of God in the seven churches. He goes to them mm. first, and he tells them, here's what you're doing great. Now, he does it in a, in a chastisement from a, from a, um, a family role. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he says these are things you're doing good, and here is what is wrong, and you need to fix. So he addresses the church first, and then from uh, chapter four on, he's really addressing the judgment over those outside the church mm. and what is going on elsewhere. So that's a real message for us that when we start, you know, wagging our tongues at judgment elsewhere, that we have an evaluation. Although we're going to be saved, you know, we're 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 going to be restored. Um, there are things the Lord has to say about us no matter where we're at, that are they're a fundamental part of it. A whole ton of those things. So, yeah, sometime I'd like to get into the detail of, of what I think possibly these seals mm-hmm. might mean. The first seal in particular uh, is something that uh, I think people might be interested in and probably find very controversial, but I know we're up here at the end of the show. So okay. what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Didn't mean to rattle on the whole show. No, you know, that's interesting. That tends to tends to jive with a lot of the things that I've thought uh, about about that. I've always... I've always viewed the uh, the opening of the uh, the seven seals there, that seven sealed scroll. I've read in several different places that the uh, seven sealed scroll was in fact used in trials of bankruptcy uh, at that time. Really? Yeah. 
Well, interesting. Well, there's an economic component that we will can certainly talk about yeah. uh, in this. I apologize for rattling on, but no, I know no, our no, show's over. Yeah, well, let's uh, get out of here. Merv, come in and tell our listeners how they can tell us how crazy we are and contact us here at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. All right, I hear the torches lighting now. Yeah. Uh, would you like to proceed and discuss this further? I think so. On another show? Yes. Okay. Um, and again, this is just a little snapshot of where some research is right here and now. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't say this is anything dogmatic, but appreciate Amy's comments. Yeah. Till then, until uh, you come back for that next segment, we hope everyone's future is very, very bright. Don't hurt us. Hey, have a good day. <laughs> Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we're having a somewhat unique show this yes. this day and for this week. Let me um, let me explain to our listeners here just a little bit what's going on. We kind of had some guest problems that were a little bit on the oh, other control. It's one of those one in a hundred where something mm-hmm. happened and it presented a... An opportunity for us to do something our guests have been asking. Yeah, so we're so albeit unorganized. So we are doing this a little bit unorganized and on the fly, um, but we've had a number of requests from different listeners that they'd like to hear this, to hear our views on different things, um, and so we're just kind of rather than just our snide comments with our guests. In other words, yes. throwing in our two cents and moving yeah. on. We've had some listeners say, you know, we'd really like for you to take some time to talk about mm-hmm. where your current thinking and research is. Yeah. So um, this is I like to call the show like jokingly are crackpot theories mm-hmm. and uh hopefully our audience uh I, I don't pretend to be a scholar and uh dr future here doesn't either although i certainly do no, revere him right. as a scholar i think he's very very intelligent and well-read and really knows his stuff um you were the one that knew about the war scroll the other day you're right i was impressed with that scene well, war thanks. scroll well it was uh, i feel like you know, a lot of the thing you've brought up here sort of ties into what we were talking about that day, you know, about mm-hmm. how the Bible is far more apocalyptic than we sort of give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really there's really all sorts of stuff going on there that... Uh, well, if you get me started on that, I'll be talking about, like, <clears throat> what I think are the prophetic implications of books that sort of seem weird in there, like the book of Esther. Mm-hmm. I think the book of Esther has a clear prophetic message, maybe. Sure. Vashti uh, getting tossed out, Esther coming in, son Haman getting hung. Right. That's right. And uh, otherwise, it looks sort of strange being in there. Now, mm-hmm. the question is, some people even think the Book of Ruth does. Uh, yeah. I think Jonah's got to be considered that way because um, they're not necessarily a historical narrative like the books of Chronicles or Kings or things. Mm-hmm. So then you have to say, what are the messages? Yeah, and they're, not, they're be, obviously not wisdom literature. There are real simple messages in there that are like your Sunday school level messages. And then I think there's deeper meanings yeah. that are in them, maybe. 
mm-hmm. uh, in that. But um, the last couple of days, we started a couple of days, again, taking a break. We had a, um, a, a conflict with a guest at the last minute, mm-hmm. and we wanted to go on and do a show. And this is an opportunity our guests have been asking us to talk about mm-hmm. these things. The only difference is we really weren't prepared. Yeah. So we're talking a bit off the cuff, so please don't hang us out there if uh, somehow we maybe don't have our ducks in a row on, on details. But it's a, it finally gave us an opportunity to do this mm-hmm. because our listeners said, come on, we'd like to hear you really talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to the first two shows uh, if you get confused on this one. The first one that we talked about really laid out sort of our general understanding about how to handle Scripture, uh, how to look at how open-minded you should be, mm-hmm. when, when you should entertain ideas, when not, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is very important for you to understand about mm-hmm. us. And then yesterday we gave just a... Some of my research right now on yeah. possible scenarios on the, the whole big picture purpose mm-hmm. of the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And um, so would you like us to pick up where we yeah, left let's, off? Let's, uh, let's keep on rolling. Okay. Well, doot, doot. If, if you didn't hear yesterday's show uh, talking about the, the, the celestial courtroom scene that I have proposed for um, the, the chapters 4 through, uh, I guess it would be 6 of the mm-hmm. book of Revelation... Uh, if you miss that, this is going to be very confusing on what I next say, because most of your pre-trib teachers look at the seals as being events that actually happen in the 70th week of Daniel. Mm-hmm. And um, I have not studied enough to be dogmatic one way or the other, mm-hmm. that there's things like that or futuristic. But I want to put something out there, just food for thought for people, if mm-hmm. you have an open mind and ears to hear on something. If, in fact, what I have suggested, and there are a few other people like Gary Stearman at Prophecy of the News and others who are much better scholars than I, have talked about these seals actually being indictments that are opened mm-hmm. uh, on where the world is on trial. And the, even the celestial uh, um, uh, people in the heavens, heavenly host, if that's the case and these seals are actual indictments, you would think they would actually be evidence. They would be evidence that's presented that the judge is going to rule on on the actions of the kingdoms in heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. With that in line, I think there's because we're looking at sin that has gone on since the beginning of the earth, since the fall, mm-hmm. and it's gone on up to this time. So if this is the case, I think it's crazy not to think that these seals could not have at least some historicist uh, involvement as, as have happened over uh, mankind, even mm-hmm. though it may may have been concluding and continuing futuristically from the time John saw it. Because mm-hmm. when John saw it, everything happened in the church age, almost everything, was still future. Mm-hmm. So it was still futuristic to him. And I'm not talking about just the AD 70 like the Preterists. I'm talking about the whole church age. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's something that's future to us. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that could be argued to be in the book of Revelation. Okay. Because it's, I think it's designed to show a complete picture mm-hmm. of the wrap-up of all of time. So. Mm-hmm. Having given those disclaimers, one hypothesis that probably is the, the more radical one of these seals that I have wondered about is when it talks about in the first seal, um, now, now the, the, one of the living creatures in a voice of thunder says, and this is uh, verse 1, says, come. And the NIV, it says, come. Uh, other translations, I think if you go back to the, the clearest ones of the Greek, are come and see. Yeah, but I think come and see may be slightly incorrect. Well, I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. The, the reason I make this point out is that there can be differences. Mm-hmm. And some people think when it says come, that the come is being addressed to some real horse that's running out. Mm-hmm. Like like there's an event in history and time that just happened right at that moment. Mm-hmm. That he's being activated to go do it. One of the things that gets to be a little awkward with that is that I think you see these creatures doing very evil things. Mm-hmm. 
Now, and it sounds like God is sending these people out to do these evil things. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, when you study Scripture, you know, God sends pestilence sometimes. Mm-hmm. God does all these other kind of things. Um, so, you know, God has sovereignty to mm-hmm. do things like that, you know, and particularly if there are things of judgment he mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. But um, before we just rush to that and say, well, God's just having them do these horrible things, there are other ways to look at these passages. And one way is if it's something on a variation of come and see, or even if the come is is directed to, for example, John. Mm. Um, because he says come, and then John says, I looked, like, you know, come see this. So uh, what he sees is, and this is the more important thing, he sees a white horse, its rider held a bow. This is out of the NIV. Um, and he was given a crown, and he rode out uh, as a conqueror bent on conquest. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, each of these little things is mentioned. Sometimes you can read too much in Scripture. But if these are all hints of things that we need to make sure each of them have significance. Mm-hmm. Um I think a possible explanation of who this white rider is. We we've been told it could be anything from Jesus to the Antichrist. Okay, mm-hmm. um, w- one of the uh, if we t- if we first look at this passage in the context of what are the different facets of the great sins of the world, mm-hmm. the major movements of sin that you could broad categorize, particularly ones that really flourished during the Church Age. You know, the time of the future from when John saw this. Mm-hmm. I think one of them that you could see is the rise. Of the ecclesiastical church. Hmm. Now this would be very controversial to people. Okay. Um, And the reason why I say that. And it's just some evidence why it at least should be considered a possibility. One is. Obviously people have pointed out the fact that it's a rider on a white horse. People have said this looks like Jesus. Some people think it even is Mm. Jesus. Because he's on a white horse. Other people have said what's an antichrist masquerading as Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I would also say that. The ecclesiastical church got to the point where they no longer saw themselves uh, as just waiting and listening for the direction of Christ and what they did. You know, we were given the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Holy Spirit leads us day by day. The church evolved into an institution you, where so they – I'm sorry. So you would even say maybe even dominionist? Well, dominionism would be like an evangelical version of that, evangelical reflection. Okay. But, but basically the church evolved into a state where they took over the role of Christ where they were going to conquer, again, a broad definition of dominionism, conquer the world itself, the church itself, mm-hmm. and then hand the keys over to Jesus. He's sort of like the cops that show up late in all those thriller movies, you know, like after you fought the killer and, you know, a I have a hard time seeing Jesus then, showing up and going, sorry I'm late, but I brought donuts. Right, I mean, right. And know. here's the kingdom, mm-hmm. by the way. We secured it for you, Jesus. Yeah. But that is a, the ecclesiastical church largely has that belief. Mm. And the other reason why I suggest there are several things. One is there continuously is warnings in the, the, the letters to the churches about the Nicolaitans. Sure. Who I hate. He mm-hmm. says he hates. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the people even have some disagreement on the Nicolaitans. But one understanding of the Nicolaitans were that they were people who set up a separate clergy mm-hmm. that were intermediaries between the people and God. Interesting. Well, okay. you can also look at, uh, I don't mean to de- derail yeah. you, but uh, Matthew, one of the parables there, Jesus is talking about parables. And in one of the parables, he talks about the birds of the air and then explains that those birds of the air being uh, as emblematic as evil or Satan. And then he tells another parable and again uses, uh, you know, this tree that grows up to be this big, huge thing. Mm-hmm. And then the bird of the air is in the branch, you know, in there in the branches, mm. and doesn't bother to explain what those what those uh, birds are. 
Hmm. Most people seem to take that like, oh, the birds of the air or something mm-hmm. good. But if we're going to use the explanation Compare of the, the, yeah, if we're going to use the explanation of the parable just before, mm-hmm. you know, those birds of the air are, are anything but. And that's worthy of consideration. Yeah, which is which is yeah. very interesting from the whole standpoint yeah. of something seeing something good, but right. really it's mass, it's evil masquerading as good. Well, let me make a couple more points related to this. Mm-hmm. First of all, the Nicolaitan warning is clearly in Scripture about this. And many people believe it relates to the ecclesiastical church mm-hmm. where a formal clergy was set up. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have somebody masquerading what looks like Jesus, and they're going out to do conquering. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, what I suggest is there is a key historical event that is implied in this possibly. Mm-hmm. It talks about they specifically mention that a crown being placed on his head. Some people just say, well, he's going to be getting some earthly authority. Mm-hmm. There may have been a world event that actually this is referring to that was in the future from John's time. Mm-hmm. And that was when Constantine received the crown of earthly authority as well as head of the church. Mm-hmm. People do not understand the, the cosmic celestial significance of somebody becoming, not Jesus, but someone else becoming the head of the church and the head of the state. And I think anybody who studies church history will, will, will largely admit that although maybe persecution began to decline, mm-hmm. the overall effectiveness of the church declined dramatically as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, widespread corruption, a lot of the, the, the total wickedness we saw that they came out in the church started this process when the church took over the reins over people's spiritual life and also the state, which is, again, a warning for the dominionist that we talk about when we do this, that usually not much good comes out of that no, uh, when that no. actually occurs. But that crown, that crown is usually pretty consistent with Scripture, a sign of earthly governmentship. Mm-hmm. And, and actually this crown is received. Um, but the other thing is, is while this one is going out representing to look like Christ, that the weapon you see is a bow. You do not see a sword. And what in the New Testament is the sword of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is... The Bible. The Bible, I was the going Bible. to say. Yeah. The Word of God. The, word the sword of, of the Spirit. Yeah, the Word of the Lord, yeah. So so this, this creature is conquering, but it's missing the Word of God as its means by which to conquer. Interesting. Now, something that Chris Pinto mentioned to me, and I'm not saying he endorses what I'm saying, but it's an interesting thought he mentioned just to think in context... When Constantine had his epiphany, when he saw his vision in the sky, Mm -hmm. he actually looked up and he saw a sign in heaven. And -hmm. what did the voice in the head, he thought it was God speaking. The voice in his head said, by this sign, conquer. So Mm -hmm. he took a mission to conquer. And he took that as as like a heavenly dictate for what he thought. Hmm. So there's a direct connection to this conquering that occurs and then proceeded throughout the church age. Where where you had a new force through the ecclesiastical church that began to conquer. If anybody studied this in great detail, you can also see that there's roots in this ecclesiastical church that goes way back all the way to Babylon. Boy, it'd be I'd be interested to find an expert in patristics and see what they had to think about all of this. Is that like a form of oil exploration or what is? It? Yeah, that's uh, uh, it's an expert in the church fathers. In the church uh, fathers, patriarchs. Yes. Right. Okay. See what their position would be on this. Well, just to just to see if if this seemed to jive with the things that they understood to be I true. I wouldn't be shocked if it didn't, but uh, <laughs> it may. <laughs> yeah. Some of, some of these yeah. things may. Well, you'd have to get somebody. I think you'd have to get somebody who wasn't particularly tied to a uh, mm-hmm. whatever their position and an was. agenda. Yeah, yeah, that's hard to find uh, for yeah. someone like that. So anyway, I just propose that as something to consider because um, that created. We already know the sins that have been done in the names of the church throughout the church age. Mm. Again, a lot of the paganism that came in as when Constantine took over, 
to unite the empire was the same thing he'd seen Rome did when they brought the mystery Babylonian religion in through ISIS worship mm -hmm. to unite the empire then. Mm -hmm. And so now what they did was they took the church and brought all that stuff into the church. So you have all these pagan influences and things that are going on to become part of it that you can trace right back to the mystery religions, right back to the tower, and uh, possibly Nimrod, if yeah. you believe Alexander Hislop and others. Yeah. Um, then when you get to the second, that, that's probably one of the more complicated ones, I think. If you go to the second seal, mm -hmm. and he says, come or come and see, and this other horse is a red horse, and the rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other, and then to him was given a large sword. So mm -hmm. if we look in the church age history, just, just to take that for an example, uh, after the um, Constantine took over as the head of the church, mm -hmm. actually Rome began to decline. It began to eventually sort of decay and fall apart. You know, Rome was sacked sometime after that. Indeed. And then you have the rise of another entity, the nation state. Mm -hmm. Not a kingdom, not worldwide kingdoms, but actual nation states that start to, when Europe starts to break up and little fiefdoms and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what happened? It was a bloodbath. You had, rather than like key wars and battles throughout history, you know, that might be lifetimes apart. Yeah, it'd be con it was just basically constant killings. Yeah, over like, you know, pieces of land and, and small things like this. It was a constant kind of thing. Now, obviously, that also has a root throughout history. Any kind of kingdoms or states, one of the things they're known for is their battles. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing you always find all of them do have a long history of war and battle. And it says that they do terrible things. They take peace from the earth and um, make men slay each other. And that's what kings do. Kings actually conscript or, or draft people mm -hmm. and force them to kill, even when they don't have anything against each other, mm -hmm. the, the guys out on the field. Mm -hmm. But the kings of the earth make people slay each other, mm -hmm. which is a fundamental sin. That is a fundamental um thing that needs judgment that, that the Bible talks about consistently. Yeah. And then when you see the third seal opened and the creature says, come and see, and it says there was a black horse and its rider is holding a pair of scales in its hand and a voice uh, amongst the creatures says a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, this is another very interesting one, and I'm just going to offer another hypothesis. And, and people, please don't judge me out there and say I'm a heretic. You know, <laughs> we're just trying to study these kind of yeah. things. Appreciate your feedback. Um, the couple of interesting things found out about this is the word for a scale. I looked in the Greek, and the word, the Greek word for this is usually uh, translated a yoke. It's a yoke that you put on somebody. Hmm. So I don't think I have to push anybody's imagination to picture an economic yoke that that the, these uh, uh, bankers and other mm -hmm. people put on us. And that's even kind of the traditional, well, maybe not traditional, but a lot of people tend to refer to the scales as some type of an economic thing, you know, the mm -hmm. unjust weights right, and balances. Right. And, yeah. But, yeah, that, that basically they're money changers, mm -hmm. like the money changers in the temple. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also a yoke that controls people. And um, so I, I think that's what's being, being referred to. And if you look in the history of the church age, after we see the individual nation states formed, the next power structure that makes a revival in the church age that also has ancient roots mm -hmm. is the banker state, the merchant state, hmm. which really our history books suggest really started with the Knights Templar. They came back from Jerusalem incredibly wealthy. They started setting up independent banks outside the church and outside the nation state, mm -hmm. they, like banks at Malta and other places. They started loaning money to the church and the nation states. Uh, from, from my understanding of history, and they got to be so wealthy that that these nations were in debt to them. 
And that largely yeah. had a lot of result in the church moving with the state in Spain to, to destroying these Knights Templar because mm-hmm. they developed a yoke over the other two power structures. Uh, hmm. In their battle, and again, those of us today are living living proof that these guys are totally unleashed, and uh, they've really had a revival now, where the nation state is not as strong right now as these international banking mm-hmm. uh, and other international businesses, yeah. um, other groups that are led by them, like UN Bilderberg groups. These are not politicians running these; a lot of them, there are these other kind of unelected people who are running it. Yeah. Uh, another quick point on this about the, the last line about it's always been a mystery: do not damage the oil and the wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word for oil used here is a word called elion. And elion, and I looked in Scripture... Yeah, and elion, I don't believe, is strictly... It, it never refers that I saw in Scripture to food. Yeah, it's not, it's, like it's not a food or anointing. I believe it's like lamp oil. There right? are two examples, I believe, where it was used for a medicinal purpose, like the uh, Samaritan, the, Greek, mm-hmm. the, the Samaritan indeed. Uh, or, that's what I mean, the, uh, the Samaritan that helped him. But it was used in every other case for oil, like in lamps, fuel oil that you would use to burn. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's an indication here that there's there's even a play with fuel uh, being a part of this whole aspect of either control or it has its proper place within mm-hmm. this as well. And so the last one in here is the fourth seal of the of the horseman, known as the four horsemen, is a pale horse mm-hmm. with death and Hades following close behind. Uh, they have power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and the wild beasts of the earth. Hmm. Um, and I would submit there's a bunch of different ways to look at this. I recognize there, there's different ways. Um, but certainly, death and Hades have been the byproduct of the work of these prior three in history. Hmm. Usually when they have wreaked their carnage on the world, death and Hades come right behind them oh, and, sure. and take widespread death. Uh, they spread. Like, I'll just give you one case: the the third seal, the economic barons that control, for example, the third world. They'll come into places like Africa, control them like confessions of an economic hitman. Mm-hmm. They'll actually control, make these these countries in debt. They will exploit their natural resources, take them away. The people live in squalor, poverty. Uh, then disease comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we, uh, you've read a story about genetically modified crops killing the people in India. Yeah, hundreds of thousands of people have, you know. Committed suicide. It's almost like like vultures coming in Mm -hmm. after these animals have been wounded and dying. They come in and then they do their business on it, Mm -hmm. you know, eating up. Uh, But, and you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at the things like the sword, famine, plague. And I've heard a lot of interesting ideas, including the wild beast of the earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been some books that even talked about they're referring to the beast itself. Mm-hmm. But in, in wrapping this uh, phase of our discussion up, one of the things I'd like for people just to consider is that if any of this what I've shared is possibly true, I think I can point to four different major judgments in the book of Revelation near the end that relate to each of these four manifestations of wickedness. The first one with the ecclesiastical church that is masqueraded as Christ, I believe is judged in, I believe it's Revelation 17, when the great whore Babylon is is judged who has been this mystical, uh, spiritual figure that has actually fornicated with the kings of the earth mm-hmm. and done all these kind of things as the blood of the saints in her cup. And she is actually brought low. The beast is used as a vehicle to bring her low mm. and to destroy her. But I believe that's the, that is the one who is behind this, possibly behind this, this first rider. Okay. The, the second one, the red horse, actually refers to the nations battling each other, constantly bloodshed between men. And I believe the Lord settles that at Armageddon. Mm -hmm. When they finally all come, that the unclean spirits bring them to uh, Megiddo for the final bid battle, 
and Jesus shows up and basically says, you want to fight, I'll give you a fight. Mm-hmm. And he finishes it. He finishes the battle, they go through it, and then they finish it. Then the, the third one, where we have the, the uh, was it the black horse holding the scales, the economic injustice, mm-hmm. I believe that judgment occurs in Revelation 18, when the great city Babylon, the city of merchants where they did all their business and mm-hmm. they traded in all of these fine products, including the souls, souls of men, of men. Yep. their judgment comes, and all the merchants of earth grieve over the destruction and, and basically one hour uh, that happens over this great city. And I think, mm-hmm. and that comes directly from God. That comes from the heavens down from God, mm. as opposed to 17 where the beast actually brings down uh, the, the great whore Babylon. Mm-hmm. They both have a Babylonian connection. The reason why, I think, is that both this, this horrible commerce of, of, of uh, stifling commerce and also the mystical belief all have their roots in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Both of them come out of the same place and have the same name. And then the last one, Death and Hades, actually make their appearance actually at the after the end of the millennium, when um, uh, Satan is unleashed uh, at at the end of the millennium. He gets the nations of the world together. God totally destroys them at that time, uh, ready for judgment. Mm-hmm. And then it says that Death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. Hmm. So that is the final judgment uh, on them. And those are the major judgments that you read about in the book of Revelation. There you have it. So, And then the rest of the in-between is some of the developments that I consider. These, uh, it says in the sixth seal that the stars of heaven, which are understood to be the heavenly host mm-hmm. uh, in other passages, fall down to earth. They're thrown down. Satan is cast out of heaven. And it's basically an internment where they're all thrown in a place waiting judgment. They're being held by the state, mm-hmm. celestially waiting for their judgment. State. In the meantime, they even cause a rebellion while they're in the cell block, while they're in the wow. earth prison yard, <laughs> uh, until they come and the judgment is meted out mm-hmm. at, at one point. So, anyway, that's just a little summary of, of uh, overarching theme. Wow. And uh, there's much more that can be said. The sixth seal has its own unique yeah. uh, things that are involved mm-hmm. maybe for another day. Well, I thought that's where we were going to go, because I know we have a lot of agreement on the sixth seal specifically. But uh, we didn't even come close to it. Well, I hope I didn't waste our time with these. No, other no, I thought factors. it was it was very interesting. It sort of jives with some of the things that I've read. You know, uh, David Lowe's work, of yeah. course, we've had on the show, and right. all that. Well, we should, these we should, are, uh, we should we should flesh this out further at some point. These are only just research and hypotheses for consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, about all of our listeners will find fault with the majority of that. That's okay. Yeah, let's learn together. There you go. And if the Lord tarries, or if He comes soon. We will start finding out. Yeah. Once real life, but let's pray for each other. And pray for wisdom. Yeah. Uh, and let's let's let Merv come in. We'll, we'll tell you some truth. Merv can, can tell you for sure <laughs> how you can get a hold of us here. Future Quake Radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Doctor Future and Tom Bionic at Doctor Future at futurequake.com. That's D R F U T U R E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. We're at the end of our time here. Good job, dude. Well, is that time well spent? Yeah. That'll give something for people to chew on. That's grist for the mill for people to start saying, you are crazy. 
you're the big Lebowski, and I'm. Uh, right. But if you're if you think we're crazy, just get in line. Yeah. Everybody else is saying that, and yeah. uh, if you've heard our show, you've heard a lot of crazy theories. <clears throat> we might as well add our own to it. Fortunately, the future complex is well defended. And we love you. We know the answers in the Word of God. Yeah. The Word oh, yeah. of God is the one truth we have, but we have mm-hmm. to go. Uh, any last words? Wow. I am impressed, Dr. Future. Well, let's come back and talk further. Mm-hmm. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a great day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is Friday. Mm-hmm. And the question I always ask you every week. Um, what is that? What is today? Tomorrow's tremors? It's Friday. Or today's review of the future's <laughs> news. Okay? I was going to say that. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's great oh, to be with you this faith. week. <laughs> the poor people out there have had to have a whole week of... Tom and Dr. Future. Yeah, I don't know what was going on that week. Yeah, well, what was going on is we had a last-minute change in a a guest availability, and I mean last minute. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing that doesn't happen much more often. (laughs) It's amazing that doesn't happen a whole lot more often, given, you know, we've been on every week for how many years? It feels like forever. But anyway, it gave us an opportunity to answer some requests of our... uh, some of our listeners mm-hmm. who email us and said, we'd mm-hmm. like to hear you all talk about some of your philosophies rather than just throwing in your two cents. You yeah. know, we, we sort of give in our, our little fly in the ointment with our guest and then don't elaborate. So yeah. we've got a chance for us to pontificate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd like to pontificate a little bit more. What about you? Uh, you know, after that whole show, I was like, gosh, there was so much stuff I wanted to wanted to add. Actually. Well, I guess we'll just do some more of that. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Merv will tell you at the end of this show how you can contact us about um, uh, letting us know if you enjoyed that or not, or you can tell us if it was something that you despised and hate. Uh, and <laughs> to let us know either way, but he'll tell you how Capital to contact Capital letters, death, death, if, death. If a lot of people do like it, then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do, do it again. again. Yeah, right on. Hey, I, a few things. I just want to remind people, if you go to the front of com, there's a note again from our, our friend, uh, Pastor Charles Cooper, who's still offering the Dr. Future Future Quake special mm-hmm. at uh, com on his book, uh, Fight, Flight, or Faith. Heck, how to survive the Great, great Tribulation. Yeah. Uh, you get two books for one if you mention Dr. Future, Future Quake. Uh, so be sure and check that out. And also just to notice again that um, uh, I will be speaking at the uh, Ancient of Days conference at the Roswell, New Mexico UFO Festival, mm-hmm. 4th of July weekend. It's a really wild time there. Tens of thousands of people come every year to that. Uh, and we're having a Christian conference in Malone. A lot of people you know, like Dr. Lynn Marzulli uh, and a host of other people who've been on our show, Joe Jordan and others. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, I think uh, uh, our uh, our linguist specialist. Um, Heiser? Hi, Dr. Michael Heiser. He'll yep. be on as well uh, there. So if you're in the mood for an adventure and come out that way, go to ancientofdays.net and uh, find out how you can get you a room reserved to head out there. Mm-hmm. And just go to futurequake.com. There's links there. And also, I'd like to say, given the time that we're recording this, I am so glad to be back from my second impromptu trip to, to uh, Israel. I was going to say, I was going to make it in code again, but, you know, I yeah. guess now yeah, that it was the Israel. is over. Yeah, and uh, whew, this was a long trip, and it was a workathon, and got almost no sleep, and mm-hmm. 
I have some kind of uh, like weird pain in the side of my neck. Did you ever see scanners? Excluding you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's going to pop out or not. I told the doctor. I came home and saw the doctor afterwards, and it's still killing me. They don't know what it is. Yeah. Maybe thyroid or something. Did, but, did he give you like the big googly-eyed thing and kind of like look? He said, whoa. Yeah, well, what they brought in the medical students, and then they put like the little black bar over my eyes when they took photos and stuff for the journal. Wow. That always makes me nervous when they do that. Yeah. You know, but I told him I thought it was one of those phantom twins. You know, those things where they find that it was undeveloped. You know, like they just find teeth and hair and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, about. it's not a fully developed twin. I was first I've heard about it. And they find it later on. I, That's what I assume it is. First I've heard about it. We'll find out what it is. Yeah. But I appreciate everybody's prayer, would particularly that be, for my safety. Well, would that be that uh, uh, Mrs. Future was, like, guilty of polygamy or... I don't want to go there. No, I don't, I don't want to understand. I'm just glad to be here, is yeah. all I can say. Well, good, man. We're glad and, you're back, too. Well, and we have some new stories. Yeah. Would you like to start us off with? You know, one? I think I went I went first last time. I think it's your turn. All right. All right. Well, I've got a brief one. Um, this is uh, called uh, Ray Guns to be Used on People. Uh, and this is from a you know a, a distinguished uh, news source that we quote a lot here, YachtingMonthly.com. Yachting Monthly. Yachting Monthly, yeah. Right on. Source of uh, the latest news on uh, what's happening in society. It says, what has Raytheon, the USA company that made radar equipment for yachts, got in common with sci-fi riot control? Two years ago, the UK Ministry of Defense's strategic trends depicted an alarming futuristic scenario in which middle-class radicals could engage in revolutionary activity with violent flash mobs, threatening the authorities with lawless disorder. So now they're saying they're afraid of middle-class people. Run! It's the accountants! <laughs> I don't know, man. Middle-class people are the big threat. Everybody's a threat these days. So uh, there are growing signs that these predictions may turn true. That means they're against the common citizenry when they say that, yeah. I believe. Uh, remember the Greek riots following the police shooting of a teenager? Recently, police confronted demonstrators protesting de- deteriorating economic conditions and political corruption in Latvia, yeah. Lithuania, and Bulgaria. There have been smaller demonstrations in Spain, Turkey, Denmark, and Italy. As well as Pakistan and mm-hmm. uh, a whole host of other places, India. And now, Yachting Monthly, the great journalists there understand that's going on, but our mainstream media is not reporting on that. I don't know. Why, they, they just don't have the skills or the resources of Yachting Monthly to be able to read the Internet? It takes, it takes a lot to uh, be able to uh, tack well, jive, you know. <laughs> it says these disturbances are yet another consequence of the bursting of the speculative capitalist bubble and the illusion of unlimited prosperity that once sustained it, says journalist Matthew Carr. The U.S. military sees the modern city as the battleground of the 21st century. Now Great. it's yeah. Now it's reported that the Pentagon is experimenting with an array of weapons, including the Active Denial System (ADS), a microwave ray gun designed by Raytheon, which directs unbearable heat on the skin from a two-kilometer distance, and is specifically designed for crowd dispersal. Uh, other ongoing projects include acoustic devices and pulsed energy projectiles (PEPs), which hurl plasma at crowds, causing pain and temporary paralysis. Great. Where's some sickos dreaming this stuff up in there? Yeah. Uh, These weapons were originally intended for the urban battlegrounds of the third world. But if Barack Obama fails to reactivate the ailing U.S. economy, they may well find themselves deployed in the United States, writes Carr. The news from Wall Street that U.S. financiers awarded themselves a staggering $18.4 billion in bonuses in 2008 hardly helps the new president's cause. Hmm. 
you know, wow. uh, what's sad is, you know, here he's saying, heaven forbid these things could end up here. And here we see, we've seen a documentary with Alex Jones showing that they were at the political conventions. Yep. Those same pain ray They're weapons. They're there. They're already, already poised to be used on our citizens. Yeah. It's a, uh, they're on the loose. Yeah. So, you know, Yawning Monthly gets it, just not our, our big newsmakers. Well, thank goodness. So, that's... Thank goodness for Yachting Monthly. Yep. So, you have any yachting-related uh, stories to share with um, us? No, but I do have one about... Uh, um, I do have one about uh, uh, potential potential unrest. Um, okay. You're not talking about our listenership, are huh? you? No. Okay. No. Um, one in five... This is from uh, the Los Angeles Times, and I just thought it was interesting that... Uh, Interesting that this many people receive public aid. One in five Los Angeles County residents, nearly 2.2 million people, are receiving public assistance payments or benefits. A level, a level county officials say will rise significantly over the coming months as the fallout from the recession continues. So one out of five people are hmm. receiving food stamps, help with the rent, other things like that. Hmm. Uh, that doesn't bode well for a uh, stable, you know, peaceful sort of coexistence there in the greater L.A. Basin. Uh, no. No. The percentage of people on co- on county aid already equals the figure at the height of the 2001 through 2003 recession and far exceeds the one in, in seven who, who needed uh, – far exceeds the one in seven who needed help during the economic downturn in the early 1990s and the one in nine – Assisted in the uh, assisted in the collapse of the early 1980s. Boy, they sure wrote that oddly. The rise in welfare recipients in the county is the first sustained uptick since welfare reform under the Clinton administration imposed strict time limits on benefits in 1996. Okay. County officials warned that tens of thousands of additional frustrated job seekers, unemployment in the county in the county current standards of nine at 9.5 percent. That's 9.5 percent and. As what was reported here earlier a couple of weeks ago, that at 10% uh, 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 credit card models tend to break down on on defaults. So they have no idea what to do. Yeah. Hey, you don't have to worry about that because I heard today that Ben Bernanke today said on TV that they have a pretty good shot at thinking that all this is going to be behind us before the end of the year. Yeah, that's what he said. And And the stock markets took off. That was good enough. That was solid information there. Well, you know, what's interesting is is I have to hand it for Bernanke to say that because I remember reading uh, several several posters there at Mish saying, you know, the technical guys saying, well, we've had had the markets fall six or seven, eight straight days. Gold went over 1,000. We've got to have a little bit of an exhaustion rally in gold. Meaning the price will go down, mm-hmm. uh, or an exhaustion gap in in gold price will go down, and then um, uh, we'll see the stock market uptick a couple hundred points before our next mm-hmm. our next uh, swan dive into the abyss. Which is what happened. Which is exactly what happened. And I'm almost wondering if Bernanke, you know, uh, I guess it can be debated if he's a smart guy or not, but um, he timed that. He timed his announcement with the. With the uh, what was going to look like a, a technical uptick, you don't think he caused it then? Oh, look at the last every time he has spoken. That's what they said today. Was that 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 comforted everybody? Every time he has opened his mouth uh-huh. in the last year, we've seen a swan dive. <laughs> you know, I know we probably our listeners probably think we spend an excessive amount of time talking about the economy because I get frustrated that many Christians that you and I know mm-hmm. they just glaze over. 
they just keep robotically doing the same thing over You're and right. over again. You're right. I've been with several groups lately talking about their 401ks, and they all just joke, yeah, they've all taken a 50% hit, but they don't do a thing to question yeah. the direction they're going. Well, well you know, uh, one of the points that a, a really intelligent gentleman made to me said, if you're right, at some point you just got to be right. You don't need to apologize for it after a certain point. Yeah. It's okay. You yeah. know, you were right. Everybody else was wrong. Well, we were right. We, Although you know, I don't have anything, so. We don't know anything exactly what's going the in the future, but our, these financial planners don't either. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows. So you 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 got to use your own prudence and seek the Lord, but. Um, I'm telling you, the, the experts we've had on our show have been right on the money. People sure. like Mish, mm-hmm. uh, Norm Franz, and others. Do you want to lose? Do you want to lose another two thousand points? Look in hindsight. Look at look <laughs> get at out what's now. Happened. Yeah, and, and it's you that know, simple. It really comes back to the whole thing of uh, the Lord telling us to get out of Babylon, get yeah. out of her, my people, and don't be part of her sins mm-hmm. and her wickedness. And uh, I had a dear brother in the Lord call me last night and say, "Well." Uh, do you think, uh, when, when's the time to get back in? He says, first of all, your advice saved my shirt. He said, it saved our family. He said, everybody I know lost 50% of their wow. money. And he said, ours well, was saved you. because of your advice. Well, thank you. And, thank, uh, I'll, I, on his, um, I'm sure yeah. he thanked you, but I'll thank you again. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, you know, it's us. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, and it was our guest that uh, that are providing the information. But mm-hmm. anyway, he said, well, you know, because he's invested in the stock and pass. He said, uh When's the time to get back in? And I said, I have to be really honest with you. This whole process, if anything is exposed, that it is crooked to the core. Mm-hmm. If you're not an insider, if you may inadvertently profit, incidentally, mm-hmm. because you happen to be on the side of the crooks. You not have... that I mean that you're trying to, but you just may find yourself. But that doesn't last. You know, in a mm-hmm. confidence game, you may even be allowed to win a few times. But sure. eventually, they're going to take your wallet. Yeah, and I the, think that's what's going on. I yeah, and and I think you know, unfortunately for Christians, I think at the very least, if you're really going to play the stock market, you have to have a good understanding of. I think the people that are successful in the stock market are good at uh, understanding the level of corruption. They go into it knowing that they're playing a rigged game, and well, the insider people on in Wall Street. Well, I don't I, think these financial advisors do. I don't think they have a clue what's going oh, on. Oh, no, no, of course not. But I'm talking about the people who are successful at playing the stock market, mm-hmm. you know, people who, you know, learn technical analysis themselves or, yeah. you know, whatever. Some. And some have learned, I think, over the last few years. The they've had rate. a bitter, yeah, yeah, bitter pill they've taken. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I would caution you to uh, think about what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. that uh, this whole Babylon system uh, it's destined to shake you down for money, just like the old casino. Mm-hmm. And uh, it tries to dazzle you. And we have been told for several decades that the only way to get ahead in life is via that stock market. Got to do uh, it. But it doesn't work if you can't, you can't, uh, uh, you can't, you know, when you put the money, and I forget the name mm-hmm. of it, you put money in every month and the stock goes up and down. And Dollar cost averaging. Yes, thank you. Dollar cost averaging doesn't work when the plunge protection team manipulates it up, or or if it just and continues to go down. If it continues to go down, it doesn't help any. You only or, you only make money if there's intermediate highs and lows that are you know within well, and it's three a, to five hundred point in a trend that's notably up. If yes. it seesaws back and forth for eighteen years like it did from sixty four to eighty two, I mean even if it just seesaws, you're getting nowhere. Yeah, and uh, people are going to have to decide there is no shortcut to just saving more money, dialing back your standard of living. Uh, and uh, you know, making an honest day's profit. Yeah, that's so. That's my two cents. Yeah. Well, uh, I've got a, a something a little different here, but I have something that is a couple of sentences 
related to this. Can I sneak it in real quick? Well, I was going to tell one? you what I was going to do. Oh, um, you got something else there? Okay. I was going to do the real quick Mexico grenade attacks. All right. Uh, well, <clears throat> hey, before you do that, since we're fighting here, okay. I get something financial I just want to say. Okay. A couple sentences, and then you All do right, Mexico. Okay, this just came off uh, Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, Media Baron, warns nations will be redefined, futures altered. Media Baron Rupert Murdoch issued an urgent internal communication late Monday warning his staff, we are in the midst of a phase of history in which nations will be redefined and their futures fundamentally altered. Holy cow. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> uh, the dramatic call comes as market continues, markets continue their plunge and the future of media becomes increasingly muddled. Many people will be under extreme pressure and many companies mortally wounded, Murdoch declared. Our competitors will be sorely tempted to take the easy beat to reduce quality and search for dip, dividends. He says, uh, let me be cl- very clear about our company where we may st- others may step back on their commitment. Uh, we will renew ours. So... He says the direction of the business now over the next few years will define the character of our company for decades. Wow. So, Ed, oh, by the way, uh, nations will be uh, redefined. redefined. Yeah. So well, here we go. Mexico. Like Ten Kings. Okay. Mexico grenade attacks. Follow up to our various stories about things coming unglued. Right. I had a longer story, but this really okay. is scarier. <laughs> All right. Um, the entire local police force of a Mexican beach resort town walked off the job on Monday, demanding better pay and benefits to compensate for the rising dangers they face from drug violence. More than 300 municipal police officers in Zuiatano, uh, uh, a town on the Pacific coast north of Acapulco, popular with foreign tourists, went on strike after grenades were lobbed at their offices over the weekend. Perfectly normal? Perfectly, yeah. You know. yeah I would call it and you know what's interesting? What I find fascinating, there are various media pundits who come out and pound their de- fist on the desk and say, we need to, we, we here in, a, in the U.S. need to stem the tide of uh, weapons mm-hmm. coming over the border. Where do you heck in this country do you buy grenades? Answer, nowhere. Oh, did you have an answer? Yeah, I bought a grenade at a flea market once. Really? No, it was uh, before the home security comes. Yeah, no, it was a dud one. Oh, I'll use it for a prop for a movie I was making. Oh, well, these uh, these actually blow up. They okay. didn't just lob dud grenades. Okay. There's a little so bit. So you're of saying their hand grenades aren't subject to the Brady Bill, where the uh, gun store holds them? Yeah, for no, so they're many days. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not subject to the Brady Bill. They're subject to the Class Four weapons ban. Mm-hmm. You no, know, no automatic weapons. So you got to get it from a, a military people weapons uh, smuggler, basically. Yeah, basically. But they're saying that we need to stem the tide of gun, you know, gun sales that go over the border and all this stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, they went on strike after grenades were lobbed at their offices over the weekend. Some six six thousand people were killed last year in clashes between rival drug cartels and security forces that have escalated since. President Felipe Calderon deployed 45,000 soldiers and federal police around Mexico to clamp down on cartels. Uh, More than 500 of those killed in last year's drug violence were police. On Saturday, the gunmen threw two grenades at the main police station in uh, Zuatano. While no one was killed, the police say they were not adequately covered if a future attack uh, is fatal. Well, Hmm. what kind of nuttiness is that? Give me 5,000 dollar a year increase and then it's okay if the attacks fail? I don't know. We are seeing a lot we are seeing a lot of things here that we have never seen before. No kidding. It is our job to serve the citizens, but we need assurances that our families will be protected if one of us is killed. A member of Zuiatano's municipal police yeah. told Reuters. The police want to have direct talks with Calderon to request improved benefits and an increase of their roughly three hundred and fifty dollars per month salary before they go back to work. 
Wow. Yeah, man. Wow. Scary beans. Sounds a lot like the uh, Mexico's gotten to be like that movie Mad Max. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there was about ten different stories um, that I could have pulled down about Mexico grenade attacks. There was another one mm-hmm. uh, that I was searching around for. The one I really wanted was one I heard uh, uh, I heard on the radio. Uh, a dude, uh, a dude opened the door for these um, seven or eight diplomats. They got in the car. And uh, he turned his head, and that was the last thing he ever saw. Well, the last thing he ever saw was uh, a couple of guys with a grenade launcher across the street went, mm. and uh, blew him up. And the, um, mm-hmm. and the the diplomats. The diplomats. Well, they were all Mexican officials. They weren't diplomats. So it's no different than say Pakistan environment right now. Uh, no, it's completely different. Nobody's a Muslim. Well, <laughs> but I mean, you know, Iraq now. There's food's new, better. There's new violence in, in Iraq too. Oh, really? So yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. Well, would you control? like something a little bit cheerier to? Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of the ones I was gonna gonna mention, but uh, I yeah, figured you get it, so I'm glad you got it. Well, this is from the Carroll newspaper. I think it's like uh, Carroll, uh, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Okay, Heartland. Um, guardsmen to conduct urban training at Arcadia, the Iowa town, in April. Uh, the Carroll National Guard Unit will train on urban military operations by holding a four-day exercise at Arcadia. Mm-hmm. Purpose of the drill on two to five, April two to the fifth drill will be to gather intelligence, then search for and apprehend a suspected weapons dealer, according to Sergeant Mike Cotts, readiness NCO for Alpha Company. Why Wait, are weapons what, dealers what? hanging out? So why is that a big deal? So they're doing an urban warfare drill in Iowa, where they practice like searching for a guy, getting weapons dealers. Wow. Well, you know, that's a common place where they hang out. In Iowa. In Iowa. It's a big threat. We've had a lot of problems with them. Well, what I mean, I'm sure, they're, I'm sure they'll go on to say that it's like for training for Iraq or something. No, no. Really? Oh, they, no, it's for around here. Really? Troops will spend, uh, uh, it says, uh, citizens, law enforcement, media, and other supporters will participate. Um, the next day, company leaders will conduct reconnaissance and begin patrolling the streets of Arcadia to identify possible locations of a weapons dealer. Uh, the primary phase done April 4th. Mm-hmm. Convoys will be deployed from Carroll to Arcadia. Uh, do- soldiers will go door-to-door asking if residents have seen the suspect. Soldiers will knock only at households that have agreed to participate in the drill. Once credible intelligence has been gathered, portions of the town will be roadblocked and more in-depth searches of homes and vehicles will be conducted. In accordance with the residents' wishes, one, wow. of the, one of the techniques we use in today's political environment is to cordon and knock. Mm-hmm. We ask for the head of the household, get permission to search, and have them open doors and cupboards. The homeowner maintains control. We peer over their shoulder, and the soldier uses the homeowner's body language and position to protect him, whatever that means. Um, during this phase of the operation, troops will interact with residents and media while implementing crowd control measures and possibly treating and evacuating injured persons. Uh, the unit will use a Black Hawk helicopter for overhead command and control uh, and simulate medevacs. And then it will culminate in the apprehension of a suspected arms dealer. Alpha Company will conduct a review of the drill. Uh, and um, Wow, so they're going to do this thing, gun confiscation, and it, you mentioned there Black Hawk, the Black Hawk helicopter is going to simulate medevacs, so they... Intend on, they plan on taking casualties? Uh, so somehow, yeah, <laughs> this is going to be, and it says, we have a lot of extended drills this coming year. It's the last few sentences here. Yeah. In addition to surveillance, searching, and apprehension, the exercise will give troops valuable experience and stability, support, traffic control, vehicle searches, and other skills for an mm-hmm. urban environment. This will improve the real-life operational skills of the unit 
and improve the public's understanding of military operations. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it will. Yeah, um, the pre-drill uh, work with residents is important as the drill itself. It's important for us to gain the trust and confidence of the residents. We will need to identify individuals that are willing to assist us in training by allowing us to search their homes and vehicles. Wow. And well, it says, because this operation could be pretty intrusive to the people of Arcadia. Boy, you don't say. <laughs> you don't they think? Are, they are training people just to accept this. Well, they're, uh, they're training them to be docile. You know, I got a. there's a video clip uh, from one of Alex Jones' documentaries where he's uh, filming these guys. He's filming Marines, like grabbing an, uh, an actor, a staged mm-hmm. actor, dragging him out of a home, and he's yelling, I'm an American citizen. I'm an American citizen. Don't put me mm-hmm. in a camp. And they're training those guys, those Marines, to ignore him. So yeah. they take him and toss him in the back of a truck. And uh, supposedly there's another, he says he's got other footage, according to his radio show, that uh, they, like, mm-hmm. grab some dude and do, like, a mock execution out behind, out behind the guy's house or something. It's nuts. That programs the soldiers as well as the citizens. Yes. And Iraq was part of the programming for, for the troops mm-hmm. mentally to get prepared for doing things here. Yes. I know, call us conspiracy theorists. It's oh, I'm sure they sense. do all the time. It's common <laughs> sense. That's all it is. Yeah, sure, man. And uh, I know most of our listeners agree with us on this. Yeah. But pass the word to your friends to listen to the show, uh, other materials that we have, other guests. But uh, we do have one screaming American we need to bring on, and that's Merv. <laughs> so, Merv, would you come tell our listeners how they can contact us here at Future Quake and let us know what they think about our show? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. We're, we're getting toward the end here, buddy. Wow. Well, gosh, I had, I had this one, Switzerland threatened with bankruptcy, uh, which was going to be very timely because just today... Uh, yeah. They, they, um, oh, we'll get into it later. It's well, it might be past tense next week. Yeah. It may have already happened. What's a mess? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we hate to run, but, uh, we gotta wait till next week, another fine guest. And until then, we hope your future is very bright. Bye. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Sweeping like a fresh new breeze Let the old world make believe It's blind to death